Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marchiafava. Hey. Leo Vader. How are you? And our old friend and coworker, Matt Burtz. Look at all these beautiful faces that I haven't seen since before last March, I feel like. I know. Yeah, you were on the MinMax Show. I had to go look it up and it was in a weird state where it was last March and it was still in the era of the quarantine where Jeff and I were still in the studio. But it was like a big joke about like, hey, social distancing, look at us. That was before we immediately all got sick of all social distancing jokes. It was still cool back then to make hot social yeah. distancing jokes. That was when Rudy Gobert was rubbing his hands all over the mics and stuff. <laughs> oh my God, what a different era. Uh, welcome, Bert. Uh, you used to be at Game Informer for uh, thousands of years, and now you're vice president of games at Magid Consulting. Is that the best way to put that? Yes. How's, uh, how's everything going over there? It's busy. It's fun. Um, lots of things cooking over here behind the scenes stuff it's been a, a, an interesting transition i miss journalism but i also really like this job so do you can't complain. do you feel like more or less connected to the games industry being in consulting uh, you know it's i'd probably say more connected to the game industry just because you're seeing a lot of things behind the scenes we're interacting with a lot of consumers you know, so I feel like I know more about the industry now than I did when I was a journalist, but I don't feel like I'm on the cutting edge of news as much as I used to be. Right. It's easy to let things slip by. Yeah. Even, yeah. I mean, even not being in the Game Informer office, I feel like so much stuff will slip by me. It's like, ah, if you're not on Twitter in that 10 minute window and people are talking about it, it's easy to miss this stuff instead of just, oh, it's an office conversation in the morning. Of course it'll come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read a lot still and I watch a lot of videos, listen to podcasts, but I don't, it, it is that like water cooler moment where I feel like you learn a lot when you're in a place like GI. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, on this episode of the Mid-Mex Show today, we are kind of in honor of March Madness and in honor of, it seems like, a lot of people playing Bethesda games because Bethesda and Xbox just dumped a ton of their games on Game Pass. We're going to break down uh, the best Bethesda games of all time in a funky bracket system. Uh, we'll get to the details of that later. There's some fun tweaks in there. Um, back half of the show as well, then, we have J.V. Gwaltney joining us. Um, but him and Burtz, they agreed that they cannot be on the same video together. So they're going to swap out, and J.V. will take Burtz's spot. Should be a fun time. Um, also, wanted to give a heads up that there was a Square Enix stream happening on Thursday. Uh, we're not covering that because we're recording it beforehand, but we'll have a reaction stream. So if you want to see Leo and I react to the Square Enix news, stuff about like Outriders, Life is Strange 3, stuff like that. That'll be on Max's YouTube channel, so you can check that out. Also, other quick plugs here. Uh, we finished off the deepest dive on Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh, that is up on our YouTube channel, and the podcast version is in the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed. Uh, we had Brandon Jones from Easy Allies join us for that one. Super fun time. I had never finished that game before, so I it is it. amazing to see like how many things hold up so incredibly well all these years later. Like I thought I kind of got the gist of the Scarecrow stuff, but so many of those details are so much better than I ever could have expected. So check out that discussion. It's a fun one. And also uh, on the PlayStation Store right now, the entire Arkham collection, so all of Rocksteady's games are 75% off. So you can get all three games for 15 bucks. So if you're looking for an excuse to go back and play some Arkham and hear people geek out about Batman for five hours, check out The Deepest Dive. Also, uh, you can check out Trivia Tower, which is our community-fueled uh, trivia show. The last episode just went live on our YouTube channel, and it's with Danny O'Dwyer as the guest co-host from Noclip. Uh, it was a super fun time, and like coming up with all those prompts and just watching the community compete to win prizes, 
I feel so stressed out. It's like the ultimate community battle royale because it just whittles down to one and one and one person. But uh, it was fun. Like Daniel Dwyer submitted a bunch of questions and prompts and had people trying to guess the soundtrack to a soccer game uh, that was on the Amiga. That was like very challenging. But there's a lot of fun stuff in there. So check out Trivia Tower and any help sharing it with a friend is appreciated. Okay. Leo Vader, you ready to talk Bethesda, man? Absolutely. Okay. I was born for it. Well, before we even get to that... Uh, Ryan here uh, submitted a community question that I figured would be good to open the show with. He says, hey, everybody. So is it just me or... Hang on. So is it me or is the way that Microsoft has handled the purchase of Bethesda really strange and an existential harbinger of a corporate dystopia? Who puts out a trailer for purchasing something? Am I wrong for finding this whole situation distressing? Does anybody have thoughts just about the way... Xbox has been messaging this? They just acquired an entire first-party division that's pretty impressive. I'd probably be making videos, too. Yeah, exactly. It does feel weird to be like, look what we bought with all of our money. But at the same time, like when so much of it is just a goodwill with the gamers purchase and trying to get the messaging out there that Game Pass is getting even more absurd and look at the Microsoft first-party studios, like it's kind of, you have to make some fanfare about it. What's the alternative, you know? You don't spend that many billions of dollars and keep it to yourself, right? Right, exactly. We have a text channel in our Discord, my Discord, called Acquisitions, where people just post things they bought, and it's vinyls or new bidets, and it, you know this is just on that on a large scale. So right. Phil Spencer jumped in your Discord. Yeah, he said, "Hey, bought Bethesda today," and we said, "Oh, that's great, man, cool. <laughs> I hope people- you like it." <laughs> uh, so they had that stream. Uh, last week uh, with a lot of folks at Bethesda, a lot of folks at Microsoft just talking about the acquisition, how all that stuff worked. And it was like another round of Phil Spencer trying to communicate the plans for Bethesda moving forward without getting specific about what's going to be exclusive. Here's his exact wording here. Obviously, I can't sit here and say every Bethesda game is an Xbox exclusive because we know that's not true. There's contractual obligations that we're going to see through. We have games that exist on other platforms and we're going to go and support those games on the platforms they're on. They're a community of players. The love, uh, we love these communities and we'll continue to invest in them. And even in the future, there might be either contractual things or legacy things on different platforms. But if you're an Xbox consumer, the thing I want you to know is that there, this is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. That's our goal. So it's a lot of more people trying to read the tea leaves of like, okay, so maybe Elder Scrolls will still be on other platforms if they want to uphold that legacy. They can still sell a bazillion units of the next Elder Scrolls wherever they want, but then maybe new IP like Starfield is going to be exclusive. Burtz, do you have any thoughts on how they should divide that up? That wording was very much like, we want to put Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation. That's right. what I read. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm sure if they could work it out, they would. And there's been rumors for so long. They're like, oh, put it on Switch, put it on Switch. But I feel like Nintendo at some point kind of squashed that. Like, we're not interested in having Game Pass stuff streaming here. But he definitely wants to expand the whole ecosystem. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's very possible Xbox Game Pass outlives Xbox. Like, it just becomes the thing that their gaming division is doing. Right, right. So at that point, what does it even mean? If it's just on Game Pass or not. Okay. Okay. It was tough to make this Bethesda bracket um, because it turns out there's a lot of games. And when you get really into Bethesda weeds, it's like, are we counting like old Doom? Like that seems too messy. Let's just have a starting line around Morrowind and then we're going to have some trims and stuff in here as well. So here's what's getting an honorable mention, but not going in the official ranking bracket here. 
We got Fallout Shelter. <laughs> it's not going to be in the bracket. But I was thinking about, like, do you think Fallout Shelter was, like, the most eventful mobile game release of all time? Was it just the fact that we're all at E3? But I remember that being, like, a Pokemon big deal. Go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Moving on I like, to the next I like one. when you ask a question that you've obviously put a lot of thought into and then someone just immediately murders it. <laughs> I had my monologue ready about no, like, oh, it might be number one. That was before and it's available now and it's for free was a, like a norm with press conferences. Right. Like that blew my mind when that happened, scrambling to download it and then it like not downloading right away because so many people were. That was definitely a moment about it. The sheer shock of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Elder Scrolls Blades, the only game to surpass Pokemon Go that's out there. Um, we're not <laughs> we're not including Wolfenstein: The Old Blood or Young Blood, but all respect to those. Elder Scrolls Legends, Leo, did you play that card game at all? No, I didn't. Okay, well, we're not including it. Uh, yeah. Elder Scrolls Online, Leo has played a little bit. I don't know if anybody else has checked it out, but because controversial. Yeah, we're not including it, but I understand that fan base is happy. It's been going strong for a long time. I'm very excited to see what that studio does next, but not here. And this is the most controversial one. The Evil Within series we're not including in the bracket. Number one, because Surreal's not here. <laughs> Number two, because I don't think any of us are huge fans and we wouldn't do it justice. But here's the thing. Uh, on our Twitter account, MinMax Show, um, how about on Friday we'll have another version of this bracket and people can vote. So if you're upset about our choices, you can fix the bracket system on Friday by following us on Twitter and voting for what you think is the greatest Bethesda game of all time. Are the honorable mentions going to be on there? Uh, yeah, might as well put them on there. Sweet. We'll see how it all works. Um, okay, so the games that are going to be in this bracket, we have Dishonored 1, Dishonored 2, Doom Eternal, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, New Vegas, Prey, Rage 2, Wolfenstein The New Order, Wolfenstein 2, Doom 2016, and Dishonored Death of the Outsider. Okay, this is on a random bracket. The first matchup is, of course, Fallout 4 versus Skyrim. <laughs> wow, just a bloodbath right out of it. Yeah, we should probably give Fallout 4 its due before we send it off on its way. Uh, Birds, where did you end up landing on Fallout 4? You know, I liked Fallout 4, but for me, it felt like a really safe game. It didn't, you know, like after the, the major transformation of going, you know, first person with Fallout 3 and New Vegas kind of creating more cultural touchstones that reminded people of the, the early PC games, it just felt like they didn't take a lot of risk with that one. I liked it. I, I played through it. Uh, I did some of the DLC, but it just, I, I don't have like this resonant moment that I recall fondly with that game. It also is kind of not to speculate on engines. I know nothing about, but it's when Bethesda games like that started to show their age a bit more, you yeah. know, a good few years after Skyrim fallout four coming out and it did not look impressive for the time at all. I remember that. Yeah. It was such a huge drop off. People were so gaga over that. I remember like, you know, all every article about fallout four would just go through the sky roof, like through the roof. Everybody was so excited about this thing. Um, and then it came out and it was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. And I wonder how much of a wake up call that was to Bethesda. They're like, okay, turns out we really need to shake things up. And maybe we should try making some sort of Fallout 76 like thing. And we'll see how that goes. Um, Jeff, do you have thoughts on Fallout 4 versus Skyrim? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, Skyrim, obviously. But I, I think in terms of Fallout 4, like I also played it and enjoyed it. I I appreciated that they that the gunplay was actually passable at that point. 
unlike Fallout 3. Uh, but yeah, it it seemed like the biggest thing that they tried to invest in for that one was the base building stuff, and, the, That's and right. that base building stuff just wasn't super interesting. And so I, I feel like that kind of fell flat and... Although some people, you know, got super into it, like with, you know, every aspect of every Bethesda game, which is nice. But <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it didn't, it didn't make the impact for me that Fallout 3 did. And, and I'm, I think that that will probably be a running motif for me with some of Bethesda games where it's like that first one that you play, man, really sticks with you and makes a huge impression and then kind of their iterative approach to making these games, like once you lose that bump, later ones, which are by all means better than previous ones in terms of gameplay and, you know, some upgrades and stuff, it just doesn't have of impact on them. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. so weird with Fallout 4 for like the base building, that seems like the right call. It seems like that is a good idea. I mean, you look at the like success of Valheim right now, you know, it's like there's clearly the appeal there, but it's just... Features-wise, it wasn't quite there. It was just a little bit too clunky, but it seems like on paper that is a great idea. Yeah, I love the idea of homesteads, and there's a lot of games that, you know, whether it's your your spaceship that you're kind of customizing or whether it's your city that you're building up, like those mechanics are super intriguing, but it just didn't land on this one for me in particular. I, I, I played through the whole game without spending too much time doing anything related to that. Yeah, we'll get into Fallout 76 later, but it seems like... It fits better in that. It's a very similar system, but it just makes more sense in a multiplayer open world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so goodbye, Fallout 4. Congratulations, Skyrim. <laughs> Are we going to yeah. talk about why Skyrim's good or that'll come up later? I have a feeling that'll come up later. All right. right. Congratulations, Skyrim. Moving on. Next round. Oof. This is interesting. We got Fallout New Vegas versus Doom Eternal. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Good luck, Bert. Have at it, man. It's your call. I mean, I'm going with Doom Eternal. I I'm I think I'm in the top one percent of people that love that game. I I absolutely and that's my kind of first person shooter experience. It's so different from everything else that's out there right now. I just love the speed of it. It's like a ballet of blood and gore. I just there's this awesome rhythm that you develop when you're playing that game that I don't have anywhere else in my gaming ecosystem. So that game really sticks out for me. I liked New Vegas, but I played it right when it came out, and it was a janky piece of shit at the same time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know they fixed all that stuff, but I had a lot of problems with that game coming out of the gate. Yeah, I wonder, it's interesting to think of like what we're just saying about Fallout 3 versus 4 and comparing that to Doom 2016 versus Doom Eternal. You feel like it shook enough things up where it doesn't just feel like, ah, it's another version of Doom 2016, which is good, no doubt, but... I felt like Doom 2016 hit a plateau, you know, like two-thirds through the game where they weren't introducing anything new anymore. It was just more Doom, which is still fun, but it didn't carry you through with, like, that expertise of game design that a lot of the great games like God of War do or, and Doom Eternal where there's always something new hooking you in each level. Mm-hmm. You're always learning a new trick. You're facing a new enemy. I, I felt like they really nailed that rhythm with Eternal. Yeah, I just saw the headline today, apparently, that it says that the completion rate for Doom Eternal is much higher than Doom 2016. Which is interesting. Maybe it's just like, well, it's a sequel, so more hardcore fans would grab onto it versus people were trying out Doom 2016 out of the blue, maybe, and so kind of fell off. Um, Leo, are you a Doom guy? Uh, I liked Doom Eternal, and I liked it more than the original by a lot, but I didn't quite finish it. I really couldn't think of a 
tougher comparison out of all of these games, probably, <laughs> than New Vegas versus Doom Eternal. I adore New Vegas. I think it is really wonderful game design, but it is so polar opposite of, like, Doom Eternal feels amazing. New Vegas doesn't feel good. It's the same shooting from Fallout 3 that we all know, everybody. They missed the boat on that, I guess. But, um... It's some of the best role playing I've had in those types of games as far as building a specific type of guy and a per- a character that has like negative traits too. you know, picking perks like needing glasses and then you have to actually find glasses. And if they get destroyed, you have to find new ones. <laughs> Having survival mechanics like an optional opting into like hunger and thirst. It was very up my alley. I like New Vegas a lot. Yeah. Uh, Danielle watching us in the backstage pass, watching us live here, is screaming New Vegas. In fact, everybody in the backstage pass is screaming for the love of God. She's <laughs> New Vegas. Like it does have this crazy passionate fan base. But Jeff, do you have thoughts on this matchup? Uh, I never really got into New Vegas that much, and that I I came to Fallout Three late, and so I think I was still playing that one forever. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's it falls into that kind of sequel territory of like. Fallout 3 knocked my socks off, and I put up with a lot of crap in that game in order to have that experience, and I didn't want to put up with that stuff again for, you know, a sequel that was so close technically to the one that came before it. Yeah. Um, but I I do recognize that that's, that's kind of the favorite for a lot of people in that series, yeah. just because of the story and, you know, which is something that Bethesda doesn't always hit on. So I can understand why people prefer New Vegas. Yeah, it's amazing to see the amount of people hoping or even half expecting the like, hey, Obsidian, Bethesda under the same Microsoft roof, they're clearly going to make New Vegas too. But at the same time, it's like, well, Obsidian kind of went out on their own and made Outer Worlds kind of as a bit of a spiritual successor in some ways, you know, not the full open world or anything. But Bert, do you think there's any chance that they would they would they hand it to him. Pretty full pipeline right now with yeah. Outer Worlds. They have Grounded. They have Avowed, which is the kind of Skyrim looking game. Yeah. yeah. So they're busy. Uh, maybe in a long time. I, I mean, everybody would love it. It would be a great moment. But. Right. Or even better yet, they should probably just remake it. Like keep the same script. Just make like a super polished version of New Vegas. I think people would be super excited about that. Maybe even more so than something new. Um. All right, Leo and Burtz. I mean, it's your call then. Fallout New Vegas or Doom Eternal. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I like New Vegas as much as Burt's likes Doom. I have started New Vegas eight times and I don't think I've ever finished the story. So, oh God, I feel the internet crying out in pain, but goodbye. Follow New Vegas. All right. Next one. Next matchup. <laughs> oh boy. I have no idea where this is going to go. Follow. Hey, you just made us enemies of everyone. <laughs> hey man, you dug your own grave. <laughs> I know. Just I, like know. A New I, Vegas. I loved Doom, but I thought I was going to be in the minority dying on the hill alone. <laughs> Now we're all going down with yep. me. Well, people are typing their comments for the next five minutes, so we can just say whatever we want. We can fly through the rest of them. <laughs> all right. Well, here's a weird one. Uh, Fallout 76 versus Dishonored Death of the Outsider. <laughs> of course. These are two games I picked up in the past month for some reason. Really? I was going through my Steam library trying to not buy a new game but find a new game to play, and I hadn't dabbled with either of them, and both of them are great. I've been loving Fallout 76. I've been playing it every day. Yeah, you're in a weird spot where I think last week you were talking about, we are debating like what to talk about on the show, and you brought up like, ah, I'm just not really digging any new games that are coming out. I'm 
for some reason anti-loop hero because I'm just loopy in the head. Um, but then you said Fallout 76 was like somehow hit this nerve for you, which I never would have expected. It's, yeah, just right place, right time. It's not even that it got the massive turnaround. Some people in the community say it did, you know. I'm sure it's better now than it was at launch, but it's yeah. really just like I'm in the right headspace for it now. It's very slow, very immersive, a lot of self-oriented goals that you have to care about or else you're like, what am I doing? But I feel like there's a ton for me to do. There's a lot of specific loot I want, specific upgrades I've gone out of my way to buy, and now I'm always like on the lookout for materials to upgrade my armor with. I've built a settlement that I really like, a really nice like riverside house with this big air or water purifier built in the river. It's very uh, one of those homey games for me. I just want to right. get back in it and build up my dude. Wow. Uh, did anybody else play Fallout 76? I did at the beginning um, yeah. when it wasn't very good. I, I've actually never gone back to it. I've meant to. It's still on my Xbox One X hard drive. I just haven't done anything with it. Um, I would my, probably be the person that would vote for Death of the Outsider here, but I, I feel like I, I don't know what 76 is right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have to work on that game, so... I fell off of it at the start as well, nearly right away. It just, the world just felt so uh, empty and unsurprising. And now going back into it, obviously they've added NPCs and even allies that you can build. Like you go meet them, you do something for them. They want to hang out with you. You build a little place for them to hang out at your settlement. And then you just have like one ally at a time who's kind of your roommate. But it really does feel more full of surprises than before that because missions can go any way, they could lead me into an instance thing where I'm talking with NPCs and using my skills to like circumvent fights, or it could be just finding a robot that wants me to fight things for it, which is all it was at the beginning. But it's it's like, I don't know where things will go now. It feels less of a known quantity, which is exciting in an open world. Yeah. Uh, What about death of the outsider? I I haven't, started it but in my mind it's like that seems like a cool bethesda underdog just for a little self-contained package um how does it fare in your mind birds it was a it was a fine cap to the series um but part of me just wishes that that series would be continuing because i love the world that arcane created yeah uh, maybe it will one day but you know right now it seems like that was kind of the culmination of that storyline so to me it's bittersweet you know i i don't when I think about the best moments in Dishonored, I don't think any of those moments are in this particular game, but it yeah. was good. I mean, Leo, you just started it. Would you go Fallout 76 or Dishonored Death of the Outsider? I mean, I'm personally playing a lot more 76 than I am Death of the Outsider. I wouldn't mind Death of the Outsider getting it. Like, that game feels amazing. Are You, you guys are familiar with Stealth Gamer BR, the YouTuber? Oh, amazing. Yeah. I love him. Yeah incredible yeah this guy who just does not kill montages but like choreographed fight scenes basically where he just does amazing stuff shooting arrows in the air fighting five guys and then the arrow lands on the last guy just incredibly calculated stuff and just watching him play dishonored which seems to be one of his favorite games like as fast as possible is so inspiring and getting in there and like okay yeah i'm gonna try and slide as much as possible i'm gonna try and like combo dudes with different gadgets and doing that it just you really respect how good that game feels to play, which I don't think I did. Last time I played it was Dishonored 1 on a controller and taking it very slow, very stealthy. Right. But now playing it on like mouse and keyboard and mixing in more like precise shots, it that game feels amazing. And the world's great. 
I didn't play much Dishonor 2 though, so I don't know how much I love about Death of the Outsider is just carryover from Dishonor 2. So that's why I feel weird about evaluating that in this comparison. Yeah. Somebody's gonna make this call. Fallout 76 or Dishonor Death of the Outsider. <laughs> Where are you at, Jeff? I didn't play Death of the Outsider. So and I only played a little bit of 76 when it first came out, so I'm no help. What about the fact that two people fell off of Fallout 76, whereas Death of the Outsider is solid, right? Yeah, I'm not even saying, I'm not even like recommending people play Fallout 76. (laughs) Wait, really? (laughs) Saying like why I'm into it lately. (laughs) Death of the Outsider is certainly a more complete game. Yeah, I gotta be honest though, whoever wins this is probably gonna be a sacrificial lamb as we move forward. I don't think any game, any of these games is moving past the next round. You're right. So, Congratulations, yeah. Dishonored, Death of the Outsider. All right. Whew. Everybody get ready. Put your battle cap on, Jeff, because we got a humdinger here. We have Fallout 3 versus Rage 2. <laughs> 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 I'm very sorry for this wow. matchup. <laughs> Uh, Leo, does, does did anybody you... like Rage here? I know uh, the gun, the gunplay was fun, but yeah, he's of whole. Did anybody like grab onto that game? I had high hopes for it. I got to play it in advance for a Game Informer cover story, and that showed me how fun the combat was, but it did not show me how boring the rest was. <laughs> and that game is so much driving around. I feel like if they just patched in, you can fast travel to every location from the beginning, that game, people like would have liked that game 10 times as much and not fallen off of it. But yeah, it's so weird how little there is to do for a good portion of what you're doing. Which was weird because the like their big talking point for the first rage was how like they built this really small world where so that you were going in between places super fast and you were always like in the middle of action and stuff and then they were like no, let's blow that up with a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do in between. Right, right. Rage 2, we hardly knew ye. We're sorry. Moving on. All right, this is a weird one. Burt's, this feels like your category, baby. This is Dishonored 1 versus Dishonored 2. Oh, that's rude. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> yep. Wow. Oh, man. I mean, Dishonored 1's the, the one I fell in love with. You know, there's always that, that first-time experience bias that you have. Yeah. But I, I felt like 2 has my two favorite levels that have ever been in Dishonored games. So it's like Clockwork Mansion, and then what's the Clockwork other one? Clockwork Mansion and the Stilton Manor. Okay. Those ones really stuck out to me as being just marvels of level design. So I love those. And I feel like the stealth was better in 2 than in the first one. That was the one kind of knock on that first one. I think a lot of people felt like the stealth, stealth skill tree wasn't as developed. Right. I'd probably side with 2, even though... Oh, man. I don't know. You're making me choose between my children here. I know. I know. Sorry. You got to do it, man. What does everybody else think? I know a lot of the powers I love in Death of the Outsider are straight from 2. Obviously, 1 had some seminal abilities, too. The blink and what have you. God. But... I love that. It's such a simple, dumb thing. But I remember even going on the cover story for the first Dishonored. And just... I love the fact that, like, they just call it Blink. Like, they're not, like, trying to work around with some clever names. Like, yeah, just call it Blink. Like, that was one of the most mind-blowing trips, just seeing the pitch for Dishonored 1. And it's like, this is such a weird, bold thing. This is actually being made. Bethesda's actually funding this. It's just an incredibly unique project to actually get funded in a big way. 
Not a lot of spiritual successors to Thief coming out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, are we giving it to Dishonored 2? Jeff, do you have any thoughts on this? I guess I would go Dishonored 2 because I was one of the stealth people. And so I felt that was better in the second one. But All right. I, two yeah. wins on replay value, too, because you have two characters to play as. Right? There it is. True. Congratulations, Dishonored 2. All right, next one. Interesting matchup. We got Doom 2016 versus Prey. Arcane's Prey. Man. Another very, very cool game that definitely has, like, I feel like a growing groundswell of defenders. And in retrospect, it does look so unique. Like, God, that thing probably did deserve more attention when it came out. I'm sure someday I'll fall in love with it, but I kind of fell off last time I tried. Did you try the, um, that DLC? Was it Moonstruck Moon... Like the the kind of roguelike DLC that's kind of a standalone thing. No, I didn't. Moon Crash. Moon Crash. Yeah, exactly. I've always yeah. been meaning to check that out just for like a self-contained little prey experience that people say is really great. I think it might have the same effect that like that Shadow of War DLC that you loved kind of have of just like here's a self-contained yeah. version of the thing you love, but just a shorter, tightened experience. You should do it on New Show Plus. Hey, good idea. Doom 2016 versus Prey. Bert's where you leaning on this one. Oh man, I feel like. The reinvention of Doom was a really big moment for Bethesda and for id Software, you know, like after having so many fits and starts coming off of Doom 3, to find that special sauce was a big moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prey, I feel like it's a game I like thinking about more than I like playing. Yep, totally that see that. Like, I really appreciate the, the amount of uh, creative problem solving they forced the player to to undergo during the, the course of that game, but the combat never really did it much for me. Um, the story was interesting, but it was more like the you had to find really work to find the interesting story moments with all the characters, because none of them are present, right? You're kind of reconstructing what's happened to these people. Yeah. The mimics in that game were so cool. I remember seeing the first version of that on the cover story chart being like, this is the most fun thing. I love that idea that just anything around you can jump out at any point and be a mimic. Yeah, and the glue gun was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, what a weird weapon. I mean, it's we just have to give it to Doom. That's kind of where my heart goes. Yeah, Jeff, um? Yeah, I, I loved that first reimagining of it, and and it it was it it felt like that kind of like you know Dark Souls esque aha moment of like. No, do the old thing. There's a reason the old thing was popular and no one is doing this except you figured out to do it. Right. I love how they're like, no, you can't hide. No cover. Cover is your enemy now. You have to like, Mm -hmm. if you're dying, you need to actually go toward the fire, not away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Congratulations, Doom. All right, next one. Oof, I'm getting nervous about this one. This is Wolfenstein, The New Order versus Morrowind. (laughs) Morrowind think for me oh yeah big time oh great all right well then did anybody have any lingering thoughts in new order want to give it its due i liked it a lot um that's the thing like with this list i these are all matt burt's wheelhouse games right right it's uh it's tough to choose but yeah i thought it was another good reimagining of a classic id franchise but like it was like it was just good for me it wasn't great yeah i like the the characterization they kind of added to the experience those little quiet moments where you're in your like safe haven where you got to know the characters that 
BJ was hanging out with. I, I liked that stuff. The combat had some of my favorite stealth takedowns. That game had a lot of them. That was a lot of fun playing around with that system. Yeah. But like the shooting was, it was just solid. You know, I don't know. Sure. All right. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Morrowind. Slam dunk. More than I expected. Okay. Wolfenstein 2 versus Oblivion. Ooh. Uh, I haven't tried Wolfenstein 2, but Oblivion was the Elder Scrolls I loved most in my life. I've been meaning to go back to it, and I don't know if I still will feel that way, but life-changing as a high schooler. Getting up two hours before I had to go to school to squeeze in some Oblivion time. First game I ever 100%ed on Xbox. Oh, wow. Just a, just a wonderful world to explore. And it was a great uh, introduction to me to that type of RPG. Very accessible, I think. Yeah, yeah. Are there any Wolfenstein 2 defenders here? Over Oblivion? I mean, I like that game a lot. There's a bunch of zany moments that are just like... <laughs> that you ended up talking about because they were just ludicrous, right? Like there's there's some bravery in that game design that I really appreciated. That but game I, single-handedly made end-of-year like game story discussions debates so much more interesting too yeah like, like the type on podcasts and stuff yeah exactly like wait there's what happening in that game it's absurd <laughs> yeah all right oblivion takes it yes i yep, think so. it's actually my least my favorite of like the last three elder scrolls games but it's still one i love so okay all right so now we're in the second phase we got skyrim versus doom eternal <laughs> Is matchups. I feel like the Doom Slayer is getting Fusro Dodd the uh, F out of here. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, Doom Eternal. <laughs> well, this one we can discuss, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we're that high on Skyrim here. I'm curious because I consider Skyrim great with mods, which is always weird to give Skyrim, I guess, that much credit for. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's 90% of that game with mods is that game. But... I wonder what the uh, integrated mod support ended up being like, since it did get official mods at a certain point. I don't oh, know if anybody's experimented with it. They kind of put on the uh, lim- the special edition, or what did they call the re-release? Yeah, I think special edition. That sounds right. You know, this is this is a really interesting conversation as we look at like how the industry's evolved. Um, these games, like Elder Scrolls, were creating user-generated content opportunities way before it became kind of a de facto feature for so many games. Right. So I think that's a strength, not a weakness. You know, that empowering your community to do cool stuff with your game is a really smart thing to do. And I'm surprised more people don't do it. You know, like, and not to talk about sports, because I know nobody gives a shit about sports here, uh-huh. but like the Madden games, like if you're not going to do cool stuff with franchise mode, just give people the keys to the mode and let them do it. You know, what's to lose? Right. They're yeah. Only- value to your game and Skyrim allowing this stuff to happen with the SDK being out there I think is super smart yeah Yeah, right on because I want to be clear like if we are counting that as part of what makes Skyrim good it's amazing I adore that game with mods there's some really great ones for like actually making it snow and feel cold and have cold effects and like having to warm yourself and just weird things that make me I don't know like NPCs in that game in the mount in the mountainy regions just will walk around in like barbarian clothes and like here's a mod that puts jackets on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. And, and the the fact that they also went back and added that support for consoles was crazy. Or maybe it was just Xbox. I can't remember if they did it for 
PS4 as well. But I think you're supposed to talk about PlayStation and Skyrim, right? Isn't that kind of a, yeah. it's a rough that go right. trying to play that True. game on PS3 True was enough. a disaster. Yeah. But but yeah, I I mean I I loved Skyrim when it you know first came out, and then I went back to it you know what like a decade later when it came out to the next generation of Xboxes, and just having that mod support. Like I, I still put, you know, probably another 50 hours into it and still had a ton of fun going back to it in a way that Bethesda games, you know, like they do not age well, but that one is kind of grandfathered in, in a lot of ways. And it's still like, you still have to put up with a lot of crap, but it's, it's a ton of fun. It was also such a cool moment to have that game on my switch, you know, like playing Skyrim on a plane. That was so awesome. <laughs> it's so surreal. And they had that weird Legend of Zelda stuff in there, too. It's a weird time and place. Uh, I mean, in no world can we give this to Doom Eternal over Skyrim, right? I uh, wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. I love Doom. Doom's my my, my game, but no. Goodbye, Doom Eternal. We love ye. Uh, all right, next one. Oh, no. Is it going to be Skyrim? Is that going to be the number one? <laughs> Well, we'll see how it goes. We have Dishonored, Death of the Outsider versus Fallout 3. This feels like a, a tough tough road to hoe for old Death of the Outsider. It's just got to yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. I think we can save the Fallout talk for later. Yep. Uh, all right. Next one is Dishonored 2 versus Doom 2016. I would go Dishonored 2 over it, even though I barely played it. Doom 2016, I like Doom Eternal. Doom 2016 really didn't do much for me because it was that novelty of like, okay, fast shooter again. But yeah, it didn't change it up fast enough to keep me invested for sure. But maybe we give it credit for all the other games it inspired to go back to doing that kind of shooting because it certainly did cause a resurgence in gaming. Yeah, yeah. I I, I'd go Dishonored too, I think. Really? Yeah. Wow. I like Eternal better than 2016. Um, the, the best Doom game just got killed. And <laughs> Dishonored is just such a special... I, I don't know. I, I absolutely love that franchise. I think it's one of those things people should play just to just to marvel at the, the design of so many interconnected systems. Like, it, it is a real heady game when you think about the game design of it. Yeah. And it's just a hell of a lot of fun to play, too. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, Jeffum, Dishonored 2 versus Doom 2016? Uh, that that kind of systems-heavy gameplay where you can build out your own, like, crazy gameplay-oriented, like, builds is, is like, a Molden for Holden feature for me. So I'll, I'll go with Dishonored 2. Wow. All right. Congratulations, Dishonored 2. Moving on. Oh, boy. Morrowind versus Oblivion. Mm. <laughs> I, I've read, read, read about this, I believe, on the internet. <laughs> God. <sighs> Which way are you feeling? People talk about Morrowind in a very sacred way. When people talk yeah. about what New Vegas did right, or other RPGs like that did right, they say it's like, yeah, it's back to Morrowind days, baby. So that makes yeah, me so have a certain reverence for it, despite having barely touched it myself. Yeah, the the speech that Leo just gave for Oblivion, that was my experience with Morrowind. Just mm-hmm. and and that was really like God, that it felt so early in just 3D worlds as well. Like I remember reading about 
reading about Morrowind back in EGM and being like, oh my God, this game sounds absolutely amazing. And then when I had it, just the level of emergent, like story driven, you know, experiences that I had in that game there. I mean, like when I started playing Morrowind, one of I played for like an hour and I and I found myself running through the forest in my underwear being chased by like, you know, like the giant pterodactyl enemies or yeah. whatever and like cowering under a giant mushroom and just thinking like this is the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced in a video game. Especially if I had taken I had taken off all my clothes because I thought that would help with my endurance because I didn't really understand the systems at the time. Um, but it, yeah, it, it was just like so many, so many systems that allow you to affect gameplay and experiment with, but then also in this 3D world that just wasn't being done a lot at the time and having such a massive open world, you know, before like that was considered you know like 3d open worlds were a thing like having that be the first one that i wandered into like i didn't even mind that the frame rate was like 15 frames a second so rough yeah that game uh i feel like that's the game where when people talk about it, it's like i saw that band at the 7th street entry when they were nothing yep. you know that, that was mm-hmm. the, the moment in elder scrolls uh history kind of thing but um it, it is the most unique and alien setting of the elder scrolls games i feel like the world was just different from a lot of fantasy settings. And so I think that made it kind of special. And choice had a lot more weight to it in that game. More like what you've seen, you know, carry forward with like The Witcher, where if you if you join uh, one of the guilds, that might close the door to join another guild because why do you get to be in both of these guilds? That makes no sense. You know, they kind of right. broke those rules moving forward. So it, whenever you give those deterministic situations to players, you know, like this is the PC players Elder Scrolls game, I feel like, because it does just, sh- we're shutting off this part of the game for you. If you go this way. Yep. You got to live with yeah, it. Yeah. And, and a lot of the, a lot of the systems were just broken in a really fun way where it's like you could craft spells and you could imbue, you know, like articles of clothing and stuff with, with, abilities that that you that would like just break the game where it was like i can jump 500 feet in the air because i made this super overpowered ring you know like and and they kind of tone those kind of things down in future games and kind of you know diluted it or or you could like get your you know like merchant skills up to the point where you could just buy stuff and then barter them down and sell it right back to them and and make money on the deal and so i spent like so much time holding in the little, you know, white and black buttons on the Duke controller because that's how you like changed like the the level of money that you were bartering for and stuff. And yeah. just just like that was that was one of my first games where it's like, okay, I can go into this open world and I can just live in there and ignore the quests that they want me to do and just kind of have my own experience, even if I'm not progressing and have a lot of fun with that, which which is like one of my favorite things in video games. Yeah, and the fact that they got that thing on an original Xbox is just mind-blowing. Like, the technical achievement of pulling that off. And I was always, you know, I was a big RPG nerd, but, like, JRPGs specifically. So I was like, all right, well, the PlayStation's going to have the best JRPGs. Here we go. So I remember, like, when it came out, so many of my friends on the Xbox were like, no, 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 this is amazing. I remember one of my friends just said, this is my new religion. It's just playing Morrowind. Like, this is all I need in my life. And it took me a while to eventually check it out. But I just remember that consuming, you know, my high school friend group 
And it's crazy looking at the release date. It's May 1st, 2002. Like, that's not that long after GTA 3. I mean, pretty early even in the concept of open worlds and to allow that much freedom is mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean... It's a special game. Um, on the Oblivion side, I feel Shivering Isles is still my favorite piece of Elder Scrolls content ever created. I love Shergorath and all the weird stuff that happens with that expansion. So if we're going to kill Oblivion, that's going to make me sad. But. I mean, hey, we don't got to do anything we don't got to do here, Birds. Which way would you go? I think uh, Jeffem's point at the beginning of this conversation about like your first real interaction with some of these franchises is kind of the defining moment. Yeah. And for me, I think I'd lean toward Morrowind, but fully acknowledging it's also a janky piece of in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, sure. You can check it out for yourself on Game Pass now. I know Kyle is going back. That wasn't to the best. You know, the stealth sucked yeah. in the game. Uh, the limited fast travel was really annoying. Um, there was a lot of things that, you know, were tedious in the game. But it w- it was a special moment for me playing that game because it was the yeah. first time a game felt like Ultima to me on a console. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for all the things that Oblivion kind of diluted that I liked about Morrowind, like they fixed a lot of stuff. You know, like incrementally fixed a lot of things and made it, you know, more playable. Um, yeah. So are we going yeah, it, Morrowind? It's, it's still that, it's still that, it's the special one for me. Two special versus Leo special? Is that just simple special man? <laughs> I'll allow it. All right. Goodbye, Oblivion. We love you. All right. Now this is brutal. Uh, we have Skyrim versus Fallout 3. We haven't talked much about Fallout 3. What kind of bracket system is this, Hanson? Hey man, it's called randomization. I don't do this. There's no seating whatsoever to this. <laughs> no. Uh, I love Fallout 3, honestly, similar way and similar time frame as I loved Oblivion. It was like my friend group consuming game was Fallout 3. I don't know how much I really played versus how much I just watched my friend play for the months. But that game was cool. But in my mind, it's like it set up some cool things that New Vegas did better. So I don't hold it that sacred in my mind there's certainly some memorable quests and everything but i don't know i wouldn't have it win this i don't think yeah birds which way are you leaning i love fallout 3 i, th- I think it was a great reimagining of the series they, there was some fantastic storytelling uh maybe not the main quest which is fine but you know there were moments in that game like the the gary vault or the republic of dave or you know what was that that little town where the kids were kind of took over like the what was that odd like little lamplighter or something like that yeah I, it's been a long time but i, I have a lot of good memories of playing that game but i I'd, I'd probably lean towards skyrim oh wow jeffum yeah it's it's hard i mean fallout 3 was the fallout that i had a very you know sim like like I already had, I already had the main Bethesda open world experience with Morrowind, but Fallout was kind of the follow up of like, ooh, you can do this in a post apocalyptic setting. Like that was super exciting to me, but that, but it was, I mean, it was nigh unplayable in terms of the gunplay. Like you had to use vats. the The big thing for Fallout yeah. Four was, oh, I can I can actually shoot people outside of vats, and that's. That's cool, you know. I mean, this was this was on console, at, you know. Right, I don't right. Know. But it, but yeah, lots of lots of good memories in there. I don't know if that can overcome the amount of fun that I've had with Skyrim, even if Skyrim is 
is the boring, you know, popular choice. Well, here we go. Long live boredom. Are we saying goodbye to Fallout 3? I guess so. Also great DLC on that game, though. Oh, yeah. The weird Alaska one. Outlook, what was that called again? Yeah. Uh, All right. This is a weird bracket. Uh, Dishonored 2 versus Morrowind. Mmm. Mmm. I get to sit this one out. I haven't played either really that much. All right. Bertz, this is uh, splitting you in half. What are you thinking? I'm going to Sonored 2. Wow! Yeah. Why is that? I'm, I'm, I just think the the creativity and game design is so special. Um, there's other Elder Scrolls games in this bracket. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Morrowind. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeff, yeah, your okay. Wow! <laughs> All right. <laughs> Forget everything nice I just said about Morwood. But honestly, do we need two Elder Scrolls games in, in this damn thing? Okay. All right. Goodbye, Morrowind. Here we go. The grand finale. Didn't expect it. Skyrim versus Dishonored 2. Mm, Leo, I can feel the pain in your heart that you don't want to give it to the most basic-ass choice, which is Skyrim. <laughs> I do. I, it's... I know I'd like Dishonored too. Also, if I gave it the time of day, I know I would like it. I've just certainly played Skyrim a lot more. Yeah. Where do yes, you- like Bert's is saying about the specialness of the game design, like that type of game I certainly love more than the type of game Skyrim is. Yeah. What um immersive sim stealth games. Yeah. Where do you think like the I don't know, contrarian about Skyrim came in. Do you think it just got too popular? So it's like, eh, Oblivion was special to me and now Skyrim, everybody on the internet is obsessed with it. So I'm sick of air to the knee jokes. I don't want to deal with this thing anymore. It was when I was playing it on PS3 and uh, the longer I played, the lower the frame rate dip in digits, and I couldn't play it anymore. My save file was too big. Oh, (laughs) certain certain Skyrim things like that are just burned into my mind forever it's like I have a grudge against this (laughs) game getting too much respect you know (laughs) there's a lot of amazing stuff about it but let's dial it back a little bit yeah Yeah, I feel like PC purists have kind of created the contrarian argument right like they stripped out a lot of the like the random weirdness that you see in you know things like Divinity Original Sin or you know other even The Witcher, I think, had a little more weight to some of the choices that you can make in the game and things like that. And Skyrim almost felt like a theme park of role-playing games. Huh. Not hmm. that it's bad. I mean, I, I love Skyrim, but, you know, it's it's really dialed in. Uh, they, they've refined everything to that point. The, the Radiant AI, the Radiant storytelling, it, it kind of leaves a long tail for the game as well because quests are always happening, so the game can just keep going. Right, right. And it, it hit at a time when, I mean, wasn't this like kind of right after Game of Thrones debuted on HBO? Like everybody was in the mood for this. Yeah. And there were those confusing rumors that Bethesda was going to work on a Game of Thrones game. There was some weird connection there. I forget exactly what's been out there and what people have talked about. But yeah. Uh, Jeff, how many hours do you think you sunk into Skyrim? I want to say over 100. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where's your it's, love at? I mean, I love it. It I wouldn't call it the greatest RPG ever made, <laughs> but it's well, who which honestly like, like yeah, a maniac. I think, I think that's a big part of where the grudge might be coming from as yep. well. 
Um, this but, is an old debate. Yeah, I, I mean, it kind of encapsulate, encapsulates everything that I love about open world Bethesda games. It was still kind of, it came out at a time where it's, you know, it was certainly the their engines were feeling their age at that point, but it wasn't it wasn't to the point where you know, it it annoyed me as much. You know, like Fallout Four was kind of, was kind of that one where it was like, okay, guys, like you got to get in there and you got to you got to improve what you're doing here. But but uh, Skyrim, I mean, and the mod support and everything like that, like being able to go back to a game like that, and and I guess part of it, I mean, part of it is the mod, like a big part of it is the mod support because people, there are so many quality of life improvements and like other things that have been fleshed out by, by the users and the fans of that game that have just kind of continue to give it more life. And I don't know, it's, it's a hard one for me to vote against. One of the things I love about Skyrim is it, there was this long standing narrative in the game industry that role-playing games can't sell. You know, uh, when I was doing the Bioware oil history when they were trying to make a Baldur's Gate-style game, and they eventually got Baldur's Gate licensed, they had a lot of problems getting people to buy into allowing them to make RPG. It's so confusing. And the fact that Skyrim went so mainstream, you know, nerd culture in general has gone mainstream, you know, in the years since Baldur's Gate was being made. But the fact that it went so big that it's, like, up there with Grand Theft Auto and Madden and FIFA... Yeah, that's awesome to me. I love that. Yeah, and now now every game is an open world RPG. Yeah, but there's still not that much direct competition for Elder Scrolls. I mean, maybe you can argue right. that like oh, other games are kind of inching closer and closer, but it still blows my mind that idea that you know a studio like Obsidian, after the success even of like Fallout New Vegas, that years and years ago some publisher wasn't funding them to make an Elder Scrolls rival. That just seems like such a layup, and they still had to be scrappy, and we're just making smaller projects, just trying to get from here to there. It's just mind blowing that people weren't like, "Oh, okay, open world RPGs, let's do what Bethesda did." I mean, what they're Kingdom- super expensive to make, dude. Right, like, that's the problem. <laughs> you know, you know, it, Poland. You know, if you look at CD Projekt Red, they had the uh, the privilege of you know they're on a different currency that goes you know. They're making U.S. dollars, and then they're paying for development and marketing with the Polish Lotney. Is that what it is? I don't know. Something like that. So, you know, like they're able to, to make a game at that scale, but most people just won't undertake something that's so expensive. And yeah. just like unruly when you're talking about all those different inter- interconnecting systems. There's a reason there aren't Red Dead Redemption competitors right now and more Grand Theft Auto competitors. Like it, if you're going to play at that level, you got to have really talented designers and a big budget in several years to dedicate towards it. Right. But that's what's crazy about Skyrim, especially compared to something like Red Dead, is, you know, we visited the studio for that cover story back with Skyrim, and, like, what, the team was around 100? Not that much bigger than 100? Like, it's a pretty small team, but they've just all been working together for so long they are able to release this thing. And, yes, maybe they could have had a few more rounds of QA and maybe, you know, stretch it out a little bit longer in development, but it's just stunning, like, that the scale of that team was able to crank out this classic, huge game. Uh, do you have any distinct memories of that trip, Bert, seeing Skyrim for the first time? Oh, the whole trip was fun because that was my first time going to Bethesda Game Studios. So they're such a talented team that have worked together for so long and seeing that team dynamic between 
you know, the, the group of leaders that they have on that with Emil and Todd and, yeah. you know, going into the sound booth and talking to them about how they, you know, created that amazing soundtrack for that game and just how they record the weird audio, you know, the sound effects, all that stuff. I'm a big nerd for any of that. So yeah. that was a really fun trip. Yeah. I remember at some point, Todd, when he was talking about the pitch for the game, he's like, yeah, we said we want to do, Sky- uh, sorry, this is my Todd. He said we want to do Skyrims. We said we want to do dragons. And everyone's like, oh, everyone's sick of dragons. How to train your dragons. Dragons aren't cool anymore. And he goes, yeah, I think dragons are still pretty cool. And I just like this huge nerd being like, I'm doubling down on dragons being cool. And then it paid off. He reminded the rest of the world that yes, dragons are cool. And they kind of kicked off the the Viking craze that we're still living through hugely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Them. That's wild. There's Viking games everywhere. You can't turn around without being <laughs> in the face with one right now. Good luck, Ragnarok. Uh, I mean, how are you feeling, Bert? Skyrim or Dishonored 2? I'm going with Dishonored 2. <laughs> Just kidding. Wait. It, he's freezing. He's lost <laughs> in time. Wait, you're, is that a sincere thing or are you joking? I mean, I will if you want me to. I'll go there. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't want anything. I want you to trust your heart. Is, here's okay. what, here's what pot makes me pause about Dishonored 2. Is it kind of that same thing as Prey, where we like the idea of Dishonored 2 more than we actually like sitting down and playing Dishonored 2? Oh, I love playing Dishonored. It's fun. And until I watch Stealth DB do it, and then I'm like, oh man, I suck at that game. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. You know, the combinatorial skills and the ways you can do things in that game are remarkable. Um, but it is a discreet experience you know it doesn't live on like skyrim's lived on with through mods and just through like having this huge open world where you can continue to explore every nook and cranny well after you've done the what i would call super basic main storyline yeah yeah i the other outside influence is just i want people to try dishonored now that it's on game pass right well they're hearing you say that right now leo so we can't skew an entire bracket just because you want to have an end result well it did get further than fallout and doom and these other giant brands <laughs> it's so. pretty wild yeah, yeah. hang on are we all just resigning to the fact that it's skyrim but we're all bummed out about it yes i'm not so bummed out about it i think it's a great game and yeah i, I also don't get bummed out when people say grand theft auto is one of the best games ever you know like sorry it is yeah yeah I came out they're super popular for a reason. Yeah. It's not like Britney Spears just won like the best indie band award here. (laughs) Yeah, Leo? Not that far fetched. Leo, how you feeling? Final call, dude. I'll allow it, but take my name off the episode and cut all everything. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your game, Leo? If you had to pick one out of that field, bracket be damned. That's a good question. God, right now, I'm stupid hot on Fallout 76. I can't wait to play it more later. Wow. But as far as a game I respect the most in these this whole category, I think New Vegas is really cool. Respect it. There we go. Okay. Are we giving it to Skyrim officially? Yeah. We, do, we don't need to do it, you guys. I, we can... <laughs> I mean, I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't think we're going out on a ledge saying that Skyrim is Bethesda's best game. Yeah. It, it just kind of feels obvious. Yeah. Burtz, I feel like this has to be your final call, dude. Oh, you're going to blame me. Yep, fully. <laughs> yep. Smart. Not associated that's with Manax in any official way. Okay, uh-huh. That's fair. Yep. Come to me with your flames. And you're going yeah. with Burtz? I'm going with Dishonored 2. 
All right, congratulations, Dishonored 2, Bethesda's best game. Way to go, Dishonored 2. Play it on Game Pass, everybody. Uh, Birds, thanks for joining us, man. Um, is there anything you want to plug? What do I want to plug? Uh, play video games. They're fun. Okay. Yeah, specifically Dishonored on Game Pass. Yeah, or on PC. Yeah, that's true. That oh, works out. PC with Game Pass, right? Is it on the PC version? I assume I so. I yeah, I, I would think so. But it always is confusing. I can't wait for that stuff to be unified. It's such. It's just like a final little wrinkle yeah. to the awesomeness of Game Pass. But just like, yeah, but the PC, you have to double check if it's actually Even over if you there. Have to stream it or something. Just like I, I, I would like to tell you all that JV's already bitching about our list. So. Uh huh. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Bert, thanks for being here, dude. Uh, do you want to clap out? Sure. Whew. All right. Jeff, you know how this whole thing operates? Magic. Magic. Magic that can only be found at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Please check it out. It's a great time to support us. Uh, if you support us at any tier, you can compete in Trivia Tower. You get access to the Discord. Um, you can unlock the podcast versions of The Deepest Dive, all of our interviews. We just have a new interview that went up with Masato Kato, uh, who is the writer of Chrono Trigger. He's a writer and director for Chrono Cross. He also wrote on Xenogears, Final Fantasy VII, and Leo, get this. I will. Masatokato, this is, as far as I can tell, it seems weird to say, but as far as I can tell, this is his first video interview with English Press. Uh, and it's up on our YouTube channel right now. You can check that out. He talks about this new RPG he's working on called Another Eden, um, but also dives into the history of Chrono Trigger a little bit in there as well. So it's a lot of insight just into his overall philosophy of writing and life. Um, and I think it's sitting at like 2,000 views right now, which as a nerd is frustrating. Like, this guy, we got him. He actually talked in a video interview. And it's like, hey, a couple people interested. So you can check that out on YouTube. Or if you support us on Patreon, you can like the podcast version of that. We'd appreciate the support. Or you can support us at a higher tier and have something... Uh, that you love your passion project plugged on the show could be your podcast could be a stream anything like that just like will cornelius here he wants everybody to know that if you own an android or tizen os smartwatch and you're looking for a unique watch face with a retro sci-fi futuristic design you can download the facer app to your smartphone and check out creator cyberpunk there's over 100 original watch faces featuring neon and metallic backgrounds unconventional time and date settings dynamic battery life and stat tracking a new series of faces based on dune's great houses and free and premium faces available for 4.99 a month so please check out on the facer app the creator cyberpunk for these watch faces thank you to will cornelius for your supporting minmax in a big bad way also thanks to our dear friends at i am 8-bit I'm Apit wants you to know that right now at their wonderful online store, you can get the double album, the vinyl soundtrack. It's the Blaseball music with music by The Garages. If you like Blaseball, that bizarre, surreal, online community, ongoing concept that is a variation of baseball that Ana Diaz talked about and refreshed. The point is there is a soundtrack here and it has music by The Garages uh, and it comes with some sweet mystery vintage style trading cards. Wax packs of five cards available for Blazeball. So check that out at IM8 Bits online store. Uh, for anything you buy at IM8 Bits online store, under $100, you can use the promo code SPRINGFORWARD. One word. Spring forward, one word. This is a MinMax little special to get 10% off everything in their store. So please check that out and uh, support them because they support us and they support our community by shipping out something each and every week to a member of this community who has our question of the week. You can submit a question if you support us at Inter on Patreon, but the best question this week will get the Res Infinite vinyl soundtrack, uh, plus retrospective book, plus 
seven inch bonus vinyl and it's the orange vinyl edition. So this is more res infinite than you can shake a polygon at. So thanks to IM8 bit for all of this. You ready to get to community questions? Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it just being us. We can finally get to know each other really focused down. Right guys? Yeah. Mm. Oh, JV Gwaltney. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Are you ready to help us answer a bunch of community questions? Yeah, I haven't done community questions in a long time. Really? I don't know if I've done community questions on MinMax, have I? I don't know. Has anybody ever asked you a question? No one's literally, except that question. You just asked me a question. Right, right. That's the only question anyone's ever asked me in my whole life. And that's going to get question of the week, so I hope we're ready for it. Uh, Tom Blackburn writes in. He says, this question is for JV. How do you have such good taste in games? Obviously, Wolfenstein 2 is the best Bethesda game. (laughs) Because you weren't here for the first half, JV, I'll just tell you that congratulations. Oh, I tuned in a little bit. I I was watching. (laughs) Towards the end, I saw Burtz give up uh, Wolfenstein for Morrowind. So I'll get him back later for that. But go ahead. ahead. Uh, Yeah, the question is, yeah, how do you have such good taste in video games? I don't, but thank you. Mm, Uh, I don't know. I feel like I just sort of... Like, I, when I was starting out as a video game journalist and critic and whatever, when I was freelancing, I tried to play, like, the weirdest games because mm-hmm. I got pretty bored with, like, the AAA games that were coming out from, like, 2010 to 2013. They just didn't really do much for me. Yeah. So I just kind of go off the beaten path and play, like, 30 Flights of Loving and, and stuff like that. Um, so, and Stanley Parable, those kind of games. So I just kind of got sucked into those, and they, they've helped define whatever that taste is. I, I don't think it's such great taste, but it's 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 quirky taste, I guess. Yeah, it's new Coke. Um, did you see, yes. by the way, uh, I saw earlier today, uh, the most JVS game was announced. Uh, it's called... Oh, Where- for, a con- for a disco? No, no, no. It's called Where the Heart Leads. It's like no. PlayStation was rolling out new indies, but it's from Armature, which is a studio that made like Record. It has the director of Metroid Prime there, other former uh, retro talent. But it's a game where you're in an old man's mind and reassembling pieces of his life and it looks very oh. cute and thoughtful and like redoing decisions from his past it feels very up your alleys so you might want to check out where the heart leads where the heart leads yep okay yep. yeah i'll check that out after we get done uh this. and then they also announced this other game that looks very much up i don't know everybody's alley i'll say yours jeff um but this is game that i did not expect to be excited about it's a playstation vr game coming out later this year and it's called play with your food no the other one is called Puzzling Places. And what they did is it looks almost like a Google Earth thing, but they have photogrammetry uh, mm-hmm. of the world and like these iconic, like, you know, town squares, iconic landmarks. And then it's a VR game where you're just taking chunks of these buildings and then it's just a giant puzzle. And they like lock into place. It looks like in a very satisfying way. So you're just rebuilding these famous iconic places from around the world and just slowly snapping real world buildings together in vr feels so cool i want to actually play that thing yeah no that sounds really neat yeah puzzling places is that one anyways there's more questions uh tactical dreamer he writes in he says hey everybody where are your hype levels at for death loop we finally have a lot of the answers we've been looking for for oh for the new game informer cover story most importantly is yes you can turn off the multiplayer and the female assassin will simply be an ai i Thought that's all I needed to hear, but I also heard on the Game Informer show there's also only one correct order to go through the world to actually win, which seems antithetical to the freedom and the nature I was hoping it would be. So I'm just wondering where your hype levels are at. 
I don't remember them saying that on the Game Informer show. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, listening to the, you know, the Game Informer show where they talked about Deathloop and then also Game Informer's coverage, I learned that, like, I didn't understand this, that apparently you can be the other assassin in the world, but you can also just choose to help the other player and, like, help them take out the bad guys instead of trying to gun them down, which is such huh. a cool idea. I wonder how you can communicate that I'm not here to fight you, because that would be a really fun thing to do. Yeah, just jump in and just hopefully get the idea that I wasn't aiming at you. There's a bad guy right next to you, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that's fun. But yeah, JV, where's your hype level at for Deathloop? I mean, it's more arcane. So, you know, I'm there. Yeah. Still head over Yeah, I'm heels. excited for it. Yeah. Um, do you make a big distinction in your mind between Leon and Austin for the arcane studios? Not really, because I've never played a bad arcane game. Like, I've never... At the worst... I did not love Prey as much as everyone else seems to love Prey, but yeah. I still found it. Because to me, like I grew up on like System Shock and stuff like that, and it felt like a greatest hits. Um, you know, but like it's still really good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the worst I can say about any arcane game that I've played, including like the expansions and stuff, is that it wasn't phenomenal. You know, like it was still a really good time. Yeah, I, I hope they land Deathloop. Even if it's just a weird, strange anomaly this year, I, I could see it having its huge huge defenders. Much like, I guess, every Arcane game in the last 10 years. It's just, there's going to be that audience that's going to be defending Deathloop for a long time, probably. Yeah. It's only it's one of the only games on the near horizon that I'm really stoked about right now, I think, is Deathloop. It's, it's oddly exciting to see, like, oh yeah, they have some classic Arcane, classic Dishonored powers in this. Which is fun to just be like, yeah, it's our signature. We know it's fun. You will be missing it if we didn't just put it in here. Right, right. Uh, yeah, uh, somebody in the backstage past was commenting on that a lot of uh, aspects of Moon Crash, the Prey DLC, even though that was Arcane Austin, seems like they kind of work their design lesson into kind of the looping structure here with uh, Deathloop. Moon Crash is so good. Like, I think that's better than Prey. I think that sort of distills what Prey does really well into a really cool roguelike structure yeah yeah i gotta write that down you're right leo we should put that in the poll for new show plus can you play moon crash are you do you think you need to know how to play prey to play moon crash or would it be a good introduction to the systems of prey would it be too much at once no i think it lives pretty much separate from moon crash like it's in the same universe that happens some lot where along the same timeline as prey but there are tutorials and stuff like it's it, it can be a pretty good introduction they exist pretty much separately cool that's great uh chris giller writes in he says what is your favorite piece of environmental storytelling in any bethesda game big question uh so going back to dishonored of course the lady boyle party i think when you typically when people say environmental storytelling i think the first thing that comes to mind is like "Ooh, here are these skeletons that died in a funny position sort of thing (laughs) yeah number one which is the which is the Bethesda like specialty. But when I think of environmental storytelling, I think of like things that exist outside of like cutscenes or like players talking or characters talking to you directly. It's like stuff that you come across in the environment, whether it's like audio cues or, you know, visuals that you see down to the very level design. Like I love the Lady Boyle party in Dishonored because it's just such a great snapshot of, you know, here are these rich people having this sort of like uh you know, uh, secluded party away from all the poor people who are dying. Uh, you know, and you can walk around and you can hear how like awful and self-centered 
they are and like they're just gossiping about the affairs of the rich trying to like keep the real world away and at bay and if you go upstairs and you look around there's this whole great bit where the sisters all have like they're not tunnels but they're like crawl like shortcut uh attic spaces between their bedrooms and it just sort of builds this sort of mystique of like oh yeah this is what these kids would do in this rich mansion is that they would spy on each other they would like you know go to each other's rooms and like hang out and stuff it really sort of like helps build this place as more than just like a space you're exploring yeah it's more of like oh there are stories here that you can like sort of let your imagination run with. And I've always felt like the Lady Boyle party, that whole mansion area really did a good job of that without like beating you over the head with it. Yeah. That's a good specific suggestion. Yeah. Is there anything stand out for anybody else? In Fallout 76, when you kill a beaver, it has wood scraps on it. So you're like, oh, it was probably building a dam. (laughs) And you ruined it. You killed that beaver's dreams of building a dam. I did. Um, but also the Mothman is really cool in that game. Oh, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's some good uh, creatures of folklore that they made real in that game. And the first time you see the Mothman, it, it was very memorable for me. It was a completely random encounter near like this Mothman cultist town. And you just see these like giant glowing red eyes in the distance. And as you approach, it just zoops up into the sky super fast and then you have kind of different chance encounters with it as you're like attacked by cultists who are doing a sacrifice while you're there and sometimes the mothman's there and sometimes he's not there's a good mystery around him in that game oh i love that it's it's not the traditional example but i think phasmophobia has like a new kind of environmental storytelling because the way that the ghost interacts with you a lot of the time is through the environment like poltergeist Hmm. stuff of like you know oh my God, it flung a coffee cup against the wall or something out of nowhere when you've like sort of settled into this rhythm of like, okay, you know, we're looking around, there's nothing, you know, happening, you feel safe. And then suddenly, a, you know, a, a, just a plate or like a picture falls off the wall or something. I think in my mind, that's kind of environmental storytelling too, even though, again, it's not the static sort of definition that you think of. Typically. Right, right. <laughs> and then you look behind the plate and there's a beaver. Yes, okay. with wood chips. Cool. Uh, Brady Easter writes in, says, all right, please help settle a bet that's been raging for generations. Which sound is more satisfying? Unlocking a trophy on PlayStation or an achievement on Xbox? No contest. What are you going with? Achievement on Xbox. Yeah. I think Being out of that ecosystem entirely, I don't know what my gamer score is. I don't care. When I'm playing a game on PC that's through the Microsoft Store, so I'm getting those achievements, it, the reward is that you get to hear the sound. It's popular. It's worth worth seeking out. <laughs> so, do trophies? Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know. I can't remember the sound for a PlayStation trophy. Like, I don't care about either of them. You know, like I don't find either of them satisfying. Like the Xbox one, I know I have it in my head, and I don't really care about it, but. I don't know the PlayStation one, so I guess the Xbox one wins by default. Here the is... Xbox one is so inextricably tied to years of my favorite gaming memories. Playing games in high school with friends, like the most fun I've ever had playing games. Oh yeah, the PlayStation one's just a blip. Yeah, here right? it is. Here it is. Ugh. Yeah, that's like you've got a notification in Windows yeah. 95 or something. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. It, right. It's Clippy coming to annoy you. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Try better. Uh, let's see. Uh, Victor Pham writes in, and he says, how are you willing to overlook a game's flaws 
if it's an IP that you're already invested in. Does anybody struggle Pretty, with this? I mean, I don't know. Struggle's a, a weird world. Like, if it's like years and years of bad games in an IP, and then you get one that's like average or halfway decent, yeah, I think there's an inclination to be excited for that as long as you acknowledge its flaws. Like for me, Alien Isolation was a real big test of that because oh, Alien's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, there's a lot wrong in Alien Isolation. Like that game ends four times. It's about twelve hours longer than it needs to be, and right. so on and so forth. But none of that really matters to me personally at the end of the day because, like, oh my god, they recreated how you know the Nostromo looks. All of this lo-fi sci-fi stuff looks completely accurate. The AI for the alien is incredible, so on and so forth. So I think it's just a contextual thing. Um, I don't think it's a problem, really. But yes, I do do that. Yeah, I guess I struggle with something like Jurassic World Evolution. Just cause, well, I like Jurassic Park so much. And it's a park builder where you get to build cute parks and raise up little velociraptors. Like, nothing better than this. And then, you know, some smart guy like Dan Tack is like, yeah, but it's just a series of timers. And you're just like watching timers go down before you can do the next thing. It feels like an idle game on mobile or something. And then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe design-wise there's elements where it's not the greatest. So I, I definitely struggle with it when I'm so passionate about the core idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that's fine, though, right? Because at the end of the day, every game doesn't have to be an in, like a perfect design masterpiece, right? That's right. You know, like, it's fine just to have fluff that plays pretty well and is tied to something you love. I think that's great. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with fluff. Leo, you seem like you're open to being critical of anything and everything. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody asked me what my favorite franchises were recently, and I don't know if I love franchises, really, as much as I love individual, like, uh, directors or individual games or whatever. But I don't, I don't know if there's ever a franchise where I've really had to defend it that much, I guess, versus just, uh, whatever. One of them was good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess Hitman defending the episodic thing. But, I mean, that was... Yeah. That was before. Yeah. I guess I guess that still counts. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. Anyways. Yeah, maybe. I think I probably am the most offensive of Hitman for sure. I I do, do not see many flaws in it. <laughs> uh well, Thomas Derenek has a question for you then, Leo. He says, "My question is only for Leo. Now that Hitman 3 has been out for a while, the time has come to decide. You once said that every level in Hitman is better than every level in every other game. So, which level from the Hitman trilogy is the best Hitman level?" Wow, from the whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I am such a sucker for Hokkaido for personal preference. It's just the one where your the disguises are coded into the actual security system of the place. So staffers, you know, will go up to a door and it'll flash a green light and they can go in it to get into the staff area. And that works for a lot of different disguises in a lot of different places or whatever. And it's this luxury hospital slash spa for the super elite. And it's just such a great premise and so beautiful. I just want to watch movies about it. I want to watch a TV show set in it. I think it's just such an interesting, like twilight zoney level to explore as far as a level with density and great design, the best level in the series Mendoza is really good. The last real one of Hitman 3. I think it's such a great final real level of that franchise. And what's that one but like? But you know, that's that's the winery one. 
that yeah, an Dan and stream us. Okay. Yeah, it's so big and it actually uses every part of it. Like I love Sapienza, but so much of it is kind of fluff, which I like. But as a like a tightly designed level, I think Mendoza is hard to beat. But you know, I said that every Hitman level is better than every other level in every game. <laughs> but Hitman Two and Hitman Three, they each kind of had half levels in them. You know, Hitman 2's the first one was kind of a half level, but still a great level. But Hitman 3's final level, not the one of the best, not better than any level in any of the games. So I think they broke their streak on the very last one, even though I still liked it. So you're saying like Bob on Battlefield for Mario 64 is better than Hitman 3's final level? Are you willing to go on the record about that? No, it's better than any Mario level. Oh, I so. see. Okay. Uh, Sean Mason writes in, he says, Howdy, everybody. Outriders is coming to Game Pass, and it's a wild get for Microsoft. Speaking anecdotally, many of my friends were hesitant about this game, but now they say they'll be giving it a shot. If Square Enix sees success from this Game Pass release, could we see more Could we see more of Square Enix's catalog end up on Game Pass? Maybe even day and date? I'm thinking this fall, Avengers could be a Game Pass game to recoup some of the major losses. Who knows? Um, I thought this was an interesting reveal that like pretty close to the launch of Outriders, it's suddenly like, and it's going to be on Game Pass. Like it's a huge get for Microsoft. And I'm wondering if now publishers just have this in their back pocket about like if pre-order sales aren't quite up to snuff, they know that there's this maybe not golden ticket, silver ticket escape hatch of like pull the ripcord, talk to Microsoft, let's get it on Game Pass. And then it's just a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Um, I bet. I mean, so many more people are going to be playing Outriders now because it's just on Game Pass. Does it change how you feel about a game? If it's coming to Game Pass, do you go, oh, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal then. I don't know. I think people are just happy to play the games they want to play. I don't know if there's that much snobbery. Yeah, it depends. Like, I would have never played Crusader Kings 3 if it wasn't on Game Pass. And I played that and, you know, I had my fun 20 hours with it. Yeah. And I just wouldn't have dropped the 40 on it, uh, $40 or whatever, if it, if it hadn't been on Game Pass. So I think it's fun for discovery stuff, you know? Um, I don't know. I think I think my big concern about Game Pass stuff is sort of like still my concern with like Netflix and, and streaming in general is like, where's the money? You know, because it's still and it might just be because I'm too dumb to understand it. Like the stuff mm-hmm. might actually be out there, like the numbers and stuff. But like, how do you make money off that off of viewership stuff? Like what is I understand Microsoft is in the process of building its own ecosystem and trying to use, you know, sort of like the streaming model, the streaming uh, exclusive model of like, you know, our subscription model to uh, carve out its place against Sony. But, you know, what is that? How do you make money off of that? Eventually, like, do you actually make a fair amount of money off that? How? Well, it's, it's confusing. So as much of the, as they've said is, I think it's Phil Spencer, maybe Matt Booty, but they said that it's like a case by case basis for if it's like paying versus the amount of players versus one lump sum, which was shocking. I just assumed that it had to keep that all even. But the way that Microsoft conveyed it in some interview at some point, it was that there's like, ah, there's like four different models that we alternate versus what the game is coming to Game Pass. But like, I think that the idea of the Avengers coming later this year would make sense. I mean, there's enough microtransactions and stuff in there that it seems like they would. I don't know if that marketing tie-in with PlayStation that they have for Avengers would discredit it from Game Pass, but I'm not sure. I bet there's some weird stuff with that. I didn't consider that because the only reason it isn't on it right now, I would have said was they were waiting to tie it in with some major content launch, some major re- 
2.0 or whatever. Yeah, I hate to tell you, Leo, I think that just happened. I think like their big push of like, and now it's on new consoles and Hawkeye's in it. Like they're trying to have one of their big relaunch pushes right now. And the fact that you weren't aware of it is alarming. I wasn't aware of it coming out either. They need to <laughs> run some ads for it. It's a tough one. Uh, Doreen Clyer writes in uh, and she says, Bethesda used to have a real quality to its name, but in recent years, it's gotten more and more uh, flack for its games. What's a studio you can think of that has the opposite trajectory? A studio or dev team that started up pretty rough, but keeps putting out great content in the last few years. Konami. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you're a big fan of Super Bomberman R Online coming to consoles soon, so... I do want to play yeah. that weird Battle Royale. I'm looking forward to that I, weird thing. They, they didn't start rough because their first game is kind of like a diamond in the rough sort of situation. I'm like, there's a lot to like here, but you have to dig for it. But the first one that comes to mind is 4A Games, the Metro okay. guys. Yeah. Because those games have gone from, oh, this is pretty cool and interesting world, not a great shooter all the time, to like, you know, Metro Exodus, I feel like, scored really well. There's a pretty big audience for that game so I'd, I'd say them yeah yeah it's a tough one too it's like not starting rough but just trajectory wise i mean obviously capcom within the last six years has just been like oh okay oh my god yeah good job capcom i think in the same way 505 as a publisher whenever i see that you know logo it's a little bit like okay i think i know what type of game this is going to be but then the last couple of years they've just knocked it out of the park with control and indivisible bloodstained death stranding on pc you know uh journey to the savage planet even last year like there's they've had a lot of good stuff recently but yeah the dev team starting out rough is tricky i mean ubisoft oddly has more cachet now than they used to i think maybe it's yep. just because they used to publish more games and i would just see their logo in front of more random crap as a kid than i do yeah now. more licensed nonsense I, yeah but their name certainly means something now that it didn't used to that's true I, I think i think the the parameters for this question have changed because so many of these stories because it used to be that way where like oh developer would make first game It'd be not so great, and then they'd get another couple of chances or whatever to make two or three really good, sort of like you know the Mass Effect model. Yeah, not, yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, with so many things like doing the live service now, Leo just brought up Ubisoft and like Rainbow Six Siege's like transformation and No Man's Sky comes yep. to mind. Like it, it feels like that sort of story is usually grouped up under the umbrella of one game that's just really really uh, receives like incremental updates over a period of years like it doesn't feel like those games get you know new entries necessarily yeah yeah because hello games had D danger joe danger joe danger yeah i was literally gonna call it dangerous joe when i was <laughs> forming that sentence it's a mistranslation yeah but i yeah that's like wow Rags to riches. Not that those games are bad. I never played them, but I certainly thought nothing of that studio. They're but fun. now, you know, I'm keeping an eye on it for yeah. sure. Leah, write that down for a new show plus idea as well. Just we play through all the Joe Danger games. That'd be kind of fun. It's called Dangerous Joe. Yep. You got it. That's how we name things for new show plus everybody. Um, <laughs> oh, somebody points out, I mean, Leafeon in the backstage pass, he points out Sucker Punch. It's kind of an interesting example of not bad, but you know, they got their robot on wheels game for the 64 and they've just been that on this game rock all right i'm sorry i'm sorry take it back but it seems like now they are at a new tier with ghost of Tsushima. I, yeah i guess you could throw gorilla in there then yep. too. yeah to some extent yeah um get robot on wheels if everybody wants to check that out on a n64 emulator <laughs> sweet game physics. physics physics on n64 come on 
Nick L writes in, he says, A few weeks ago, Ben was talking about his pile of shame uh, games that you never beat, but we probably should have. Made me wonder, what's on top of your pile of shame for games you started multiple times but never beat? And he says, at the risk of being permanently banned from the Discord, I think mine is Final Fantasy VII. Hang on. Mods, uh, mods, do you want to get Nick L out of the Discord when you hear this? Thanks so much. Just a quick boot. Appreciate it. <laughs> Mine's Final <laughs> Fantasy VI, so... Wow. Uh, promote JV, please. <laughs> what? Oh, promote JV yeah. mods? <laughs> yeah, he's um he's at the trivia champion uh tier now. Thanks, mods. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um Final Fantasy VI, really. Like he started like on GBA, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean I made several earnest attempts to start it. I played it on like uh our PS uh Vita. I tried it on there. Oh, I think sure. it was on there, an emulator, and then I got it on Game Boy and I was about to make real progress on it, and then I got fired. Uh, and it just took the real wind out of my sails because I was in Germany. I was like, I don't want to f- play Final Fantasy. <laughs> Strange enough, I actually Final Fantasy Four is one for me that I've started so many times, and I get a couple hours in. It's like, all right, I see the kids turn to stone, and that's about where I, I trail off Final Fantasy Four. But at some point, at some point, I'll tackle it. Um, because I, we've been talking about it, Fallout New Vegas certainly. But my usual answer for this is Mass Effect, and right. It was a game I started a lot of times and never got more than a couple hours into, but I, I will have never had a better chance than when the remasters come out. So that's what I'm that's what I've been holding out like on trying it again for for so long and now it's actually happening. So yeah, yeah. That, that trilogy is my baby, but even I have to admit, like the first one is just real rough. I'm hoping the remaster fixes some of those issues. It might yeah. be a little bit rough, JV, but you'd agree that it's a really interesting game and it's worth having the best most thorough discussion on the internet about it at some point, right? Yeah, okay. 100%. There we go. Uh, Ricky Winterborn writes in. He says, why do a lot of game informers slash game journalist people eventually move into PR? I assume it's for a more reliable career, but are there more reasons? <laughs> <laughs> What's the real reason? Yeah, I think reliable career seems like a pretty pretty tempting <laughs> carrot there. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, uh, I mean, the reason that I feel like I spent a lot of my 20s like very much about the work I was doing as like a writer like because when I feel like when you're young you you a lot of people not everyone but a lot of people gets trapped get trapped into this idea of like I have to be this thing you know I have to be the best at this thing and that's all I'm ever going to be um and so I put like a lot of ego into the work that I did like before Game Informer and at Game Informer uh, and that's just gets kind of exhausting and stuff because it's constantly like you get to a new tier and you're like, okay, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got a cool feature in the magazine. What's next? What's next? What's next? Oh, I, I wrote this really good review I'm proud of. Oh, I got my cover story. And eventually you just feels like you hit a plateau where you have to accept that you have to move forward and try and learn new things or you're just going to be unhappy. And also like journalism doesn't pay well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I had like, when it was time to find a new job, it was one of those things of like, well, you know, I want to like live with my partner. We have to take care of two dogs and stuff. You know, I have to get something that pays better. Um, and I think PR does a better job of offering those opportunities than journalism does. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, it's just those two things of like wanting to try for me, wanting to try something new and learn new skill sets and stuff. Well, still uh, like and, you're, and you're... also making more money. Yeah. But your knowledge is valuable. I mean, your perspective from years, it's not like you're throwing everything away and starting something completely new. So it's like, oh, I can take that knowledge and just pivot it to the enemy faction and then it'll be great. (laughs) Yeah, 
Exactly. It's it's uh, double agent stuff. It's great. Yeah. Jeff, have you considered PR? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I learned a long time ago that I can, if, if I'm writing, then I'm usually happy. And it, it's, I can, I can write about a lot of different things and it would still like, like it, it, the, the thrill of GI wasn't like, oh, it's my dream job. And I'm writing about the things that I really want to, or that I'm really passionate about. Like turns out if you sit me down with a, you know, computer or a piece of paper and you ask me to write something and I put work into it and I make it the best I can and it turns out well, then that's rewarding to me. So does that mean that you've been unhappy for the last uh, year and a half since you haven't really been writing things? No, it turns out video uh, is rewarding in its own way too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You must miss writing a little bit though, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little it's, I don't know. Like the, the thing, the thing that I enjoyed at Game Informer was kind of discussing and thinking about video games. And I feel like, you know, I get to do that every week and I don't have to just slave over a, a, a copy of a, yeah, of, you know, like a rough draft and like read it 50 times and continually tweak it and beat my head against the wall because I can't find the right words that I want. And yeah. Do you not it's, like it, writing, but like having written? A little bit. I think that's how it oh, is for like most like people. The, I'm curious if anybody actually likes the writing process. The, I mean, I mean the the process it the process is rewarding and sometimes it's fun depending on what you're writing. But when you have to get to a polished end product, and especially like when there's deadlines and stuff like that, that can that can kind of Tragic, suck crazy. the fun out of it. Yeah, mm. I I like brainstorming. That's what I like. You know, yeah. for creative projects, like I, I, I still write a fair amount. I just do it in like various creative projects, and then I still think my favorite part is getting excited about doing the actual writing. And then it's a bunch of forcing myself to do the writing, which I do, but it takes longer now, which is a good thing because I'm allowing myself to relax and do other things instead of having the game informer deadline, mm-hmm. you know, hanging over my head. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't think I enjoy actually writing because it reveals just how much of an idiot I am when I'm actually writing. I'm just staring at these words that I make. I'm just like, what? Who wrote this? This is so bad. <laughs> I feel that. Uh, Chris Logan writes in. He says, hey, you've been in the cohorts. Here's a game I like to call Fresh Tomatoes. Very simple. For each pair of movies, can you guess which has the higher score on Rotten Tomatoes? Jeff, um, which has a higher score? Speed or Braveheart on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> I hope it's Speed. What do you think it is? You're going with Speed? Yeah. Speed's at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. And <laughs> oh Brave, my God. Braveheart is at 78. That's Un- dumb. Yeah. I but hope, I love it. I hope Speed 2 Cruise Control has also beaten Braveheart. Uh, Leo, what do you think is higher on Rotten Tomatoes? Avatar or Dumb and Dumber? Huh. Well, my honest guess is Avatar. I hope I'm wrong. Avatar at 82, Dumb Dumber at 68. Uh, JV, tricky one. Batman Begins or Batman 1989? Oh, uh, Batman 1989? Batman 1989 is at 71%, which seems wow, offensively really? low because that movie is so cool. Oh. Uh, yeah. Batman Begins is at 84%. All right, Jeff, for all the marbles, Forrest Gump 
or Shawshank Redemption? Boy, this could go either way. Yeah, I'll say Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, just because you don't have faith in humanity? <laughs> or <laughs> No, you don't bet against Tom Hanks, baby. <laughs> All right. Forrest Gump is at 71%. What? That's so much lower than I expected. I wonder if there's like new reviews of people being like, wait a minute, I think America lost its mind for a bit. Turns out Forrest Gump, not that great. Uh, Shawshank Redemption's at 91%. Okay. Yeah, that seems that seems correct. Uh, thank you, Chris Logan. Uh, Interada writes in and he says, Hello, Ben, Jeff, Leo, and JV. If you could open up any video game themed bed and breakfast, what video game series would you use? Does it have to be a series? Can it be a single game? Does it? Does uh, it yeah, have to be? I, I guess any anything works. Uh, I'd do something Stardew yep. themed. I feel like <laughs> I was thinking that's the exact like same the, thing. Go to. Uh, maybe that's cheating because it's just like such an obvious answer. I guess it's playing that game feels like you're living in a bed and breakfast. In a bed and breakfast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really hard to like think of like what video game you'd want. Maybe something like whimsical, like Pokemon. Or something but it's just there's so many games that are not whimsical it's right like, would you want a gears of war bed and breakfast like what do you really <laughs> want here i'm feeling bloodborne okay that's yeah bad. i mean the little cottage in the mm. in the dreamland that's kind yep. of a bed and breakfast type situation wake up dreamer your, your butter knife in the morning could be like a trick one you know that like mm. flips out and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i um I'm not a huge Final Fantasy guy, but I adored the cooking and camping in Final Fantasy 15. Oh, I wish there was just a whole game based more around that versus like going off on what adventures. Screw off. But and and obviously the food in that game, you know, unbelievably appetizing. Yeah, like I dropped off of Final Fantasy 15 the moment it started veering back into like. RPG adventure territory as opposed to being just a, a game about hanging with my bros. Right. Like the moment, yeah, the moment it stopped doing that, I was out. I was out <laughs> so hard. Well, boy, do I have the game for you guys. It's called Monster of the Deep colon Final Fantasy XV, the standalone fishing game in PSVR. If you just want to hang out with the bros and look at food, that's the game for you. Okay. Um, yeah, somebody in the backstage pass chat, I mean, Leafeon, he, he says Animal Crossing. Also very bed and breakfast feel. Yeah. yeah. It feels like that's a whole, like, they have cottage core. It feels like there's, like, should be a video game genre that's just bed and breakfast. <laughs> it's just a tag like, on Steam. That yeah. is, like, that's just the whole aesthetic of, like, Animal Crossing and Stardew, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. Harvest Moon. Mm, the Animal Crossing much. bed and breakfast, you couldn't get under the blanket, though. It's like all one piece for some reason. You lay on top of it like your little Animal Crossing guy does. <laughs> yep. uh, by the way, we got a copy of the Stardew Valley uh, tabletop game. Um, I was able to play Great. it. And Jeffum, have you gotten a chance to play it yet? We played it last night. Oh, my gosh. So Jeffum and I might be hopefully creating a standalone video, uh, sharing our thoughts on that pretty soon. So you can check that out on MinMax's YouTube channel. Uh, the- I really wanted to get that, but it was sold out. Oh, great. Time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeff, run it down to him, and then he can join us for the video. Yeah. Um, high level um, is that it's a thousand times more complicated than you think it's going to be. <laughs> like, they try to simulate basically all of Stardew Valley in a tabletop game, which is ambitious. Um, but look for our video on our YouTube channel. We'll talk about it more. Um, Finlay asks, what is your best thrift shop find? Um, I love thrift shops. I do too. I need to go grab mine. I forgot. Leo, do you just want to talk about thrift shops for a bit? 
Sure. My seminal YouTube series, Games Are Done for Kids, was entirely furnished by Goodwill. We bought desks and chairs nice. from Goodwill for like 60 bucks total for everything. Nice. Yeah. Not Love bad. a thrift store. Got my all my tripods for years. This was the this latest tripod I bought a couple weeks ago was the first tripod my whole life I didn't buy at Goodwill. <laughs> uh, my favorite was, was a Goodwill years and years ago, and this is a deep cut, um, but it's a Wolfpack shield from the old '90s Lego sets. Wolfpack, which was like not very popular but always my favorite lego sets it was kind of like dark robin hood style thing but i even know that they made this and then just seeing like this obscured lego item that i played with in my childhood just like oh i don't know you can buy one for 99 cents i tripped over myself to get it it's the coolest <laughs> Anyways, wow. thanks i got Leo. season three of the sopranos on vhs i think that's the only <laughs> notable nice. thrift shop fine oh boy because the problem is, like, thrift shop clothes don't really fit me that well because of, like, long arms and stuff. So I don't typically, like, get thrift shop clothes. I have to get them from Old Navy or something. You could probably go buy, like, a blanket and just, like, wrap it around yeah. yourself and pin it. Just make myself, like, my own clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Dan writes in and he says, Hey, CLCs, I've been playing Bravely Default 2 recently and about five, after about five hours of gameplay, an in-game title sequence appeared. A while ago, I put about four hours into AC Valhalla before seeing one. The time between starting a game and seeing the title sequence seems to be increasing. What's the deal with this trend? Is it basically just a flex from the developers saying, we got so much content, we'll give you five hours before the game even starts? Yes. <laughs> I think that's it's what it prestigious is. It's to have a light title card like that. Yeah, I guess. It's just, it's such a, it's, it's such a weird flex. Like, I don't want more content. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my life as a gamer. I don't want more content. I want the right amount of content, you know? And ever since like the days of Assassin's Creed 3, when it does that thing of like five hours until you see the title. Yeah, I've always taken that as an indicator of this game's going to be huge and it's just kind mm -hmm. of exhausting to me. I'm trying to remember in AC3, did they wait until you were playing as Connor before the title came up in that game, which was like six hours or something? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, that, no, I think you're still hate them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. It, there is an art to it for sure. You want to hit it, you know, when your energy is most heightened, your excitement for the game. Ghost of Tsushima has a great has that great late one where it is like after the introduction, and everything. But it's like in gameplay when you're finally getting like to run through an open field on your horse. It's it feels great when that title card comes up, and sometimes it's just like, oh, it's that's a stupid surprise. <laughs> it's like just after a tutorial pop up or something. You know, Answer. when it's yeah. Yeah. Is it uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is the one that does it in sync with the lightning crack, right? Over the Hudson. Oh, God. Like at the end of the tanker? Yeah, at the start of the tanker, I at think, the start. right? I don't, is it at the start? I don't think it's at the okay. start. Oh, oh, it's at the end of the tanker, right? It is the end of the tanker. It might be. God, see, I don't that's, know. See, that's how you do one, right? I feel like, okay, maybe an hour. You know, if it's really cool, I guess it depends on where it's placed. But like, I really like Metal Gear Solid 2s from whatever. Or, or you do MGS5 and do it like every 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, the credits? Yeah. Yeah. Remind you what game you're playing. Um, JV, this is going to drive me nuts that I don't remember when that pops up. Please correct us in the comments about when it pops up. I really want to know. Anyways, uh, Adam Cohen writes in. He says, hey, Min Max, I recently had to walk my dad through opening files on his desktop from an, from an external hard drive. 
It involved him trying to turn his webcam around, which is on top of his monitor, to look at the screen, which knocked over his modem, knocking it offline, which meant I had to walk him through installing Zoom on his phone, explaining to him that Zoom on his phone wasn't using his computer's webcam, <laughs> several times telling him to turn his phone around and having him rotate it instead, him telling me that he had lost everything on his computer. <laughs> at one point, he told me that it's a, quote, URL problem. We eventually got it all working, <laughs> but the process took the better part of an hour. Do you all have any funny stories about giving tech support to technology-impaired friends or family? Not really, because my folks were always like, or my dad's always been like a techno nerd. Yeah. Like, the only time I've ever had to help him out was, like, figure out the gallery view on Zoom, which is super funny to me because he's so good at figuring out other tech stuff. He just couldn't figure it out on his phone. So that's the only other, that's the only time I feel like I've had to tell the old timer how to use tech. Yeah. I wonder if there is a recurring through line amongst like people that worked at Game Informer and their parents being more techie. Because like Andy's dad like used to program games and stuff. He's like also a really techie guy. My dad is very much not techie. And Jeff, I'm yours, was too busy raising wild animals in the house or whatever. Yeah, he he was a veterinarian. But yeah. recently I had to walk my mom through um, getting her printer reconnected wirelessly to her to her laptop oh, which was no. fun because she uh they were having internet problems and so i had to call their internet company and get them to come out and you know upgrade their modem but when they upgraded the modem the modem had a new password and the printer wasn't connected to that and oh, so no. she was very confused and kept on saying yes the the printer is online it's online because it was on and she didn't understand oh, that it actually no. has to connect to the computer and then when, once we figured out it needed a password, it only had like, it only has like a dial, you know, like a number pad that you have to type in the letters on. And so she was, she was trying to like get the actual password inputted in it, which was really funny for us because when she had an old, you know, an old, you know, like an old phone before smartphones, she used to just be the worst texter. And like, and, and she, you, you would always get like five, like half started texts from her <laughs> as she was like trying to type in the message and then they'd get increasingly angry. So I was making fun of her while she was trying to type in her long password, but we got there. Oh, finally. good. Oh, good. Uh, Killslayer in the message pass, by the way, brings up that the Rotten Tomatoes drop off from speed one to speed two. Speed one is at 94% and speed two cruise control is at 4%. Four? Yeah, they challenge- Not 44? Four. So they challenge anybody to find a greater drop off between a film and its sequel. Even like, do you you think speed has gotten a recent bump just because of Keanu? Like, has he gotten a Keanu bump? A retroactive people are going. I don't think Rotten Tomatoes updates over time. I think they do. Oh, they do. I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I wonder about just like Keanu's career. It's still the most fascinating things. Like there was. Remember that like decade when we all at least where we all just made fun of Keanu Reeves for not being a great actor. But now it's like, if you say that, you'll get punched in the face. He's a saint. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird because like I went back and watched like my own private Idaho, which, you know, that's like one of those artsy movies that people are into. Uh, And he's not a good actor in that either. Like people were praising his performance, but he's just kind of, it's just another version of uh, who he's, he's Bill, right? Or is he Ted? Which one? No one knows. I mean, Ted. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's just doing the Bill and Ted thing, but serious, a serious art movie. It's like, all right. 
He's good in John Wick, though. Like, he's really good in John Wick. He's good when he's just killing dudes. I yeah. think, yeah, honestly, people have learned more about him. Maybe there's something about people making fun of people for different reasons. I like that Britney Spears documentary yeah. that everybody was talking about. Everybody reflecting on how he treated Britney Spears really terribly. And it's interesting because all that documentary has to do is go, look what you did. Yep. Look at what you people were saying to her <laughs> while she was going through all this stuff. And you, those paparazzi pictures, here's her getting those paparazzi pictures taken and how horrible that is to be trailed by paparazzi every waking moment of your life. Yeah. And, the br- and I like to think pa- that oh, there's some trend towards empathy that both of those things show that like sure people still dump on others but there's at least some semblance of like doing it for a cause versus like this person is uh i want to make fun of them right keanu reeves says whoa a lot let's really take him down a pick yeah the crazy thing that britney spears documentary is then when they're like talking to the paparazzi guy and he's like oh no like i was on her side like i was defending her and if she would have said to stop i absolutely would have stopped And like yeah she was repeatedly screaming leave me alone he's like well, maybe just once. <laughs> no, dude, you were part of the problem. Yeah, I never could have known <laughs> that she wasn't happy like, with like, what I like, Yeah, did I you, just don't get it. Yeah, it wasn't in the documentary, but did you see that thing that was trending after the documentary was really blowing up, Leo? Whereas Craig Ferguson's bit from his monologue, the old no. uh, late night host, it's really interesting. You should go find it. Where it was like peak Britney Spears insanity. Uh, and in his opening monologue, he just says like, hey, I really don't like this trend in our culture. I'm not going to punch down and start attacking Britney Spears when she's clearly having so many problems in her life. Like, why aren't we punching up more? I don't understand. That's the point of comedy. Um, and then, oh, it's just brutal because he opens it by talking about like, yeah, these are real people and these jokes have consequences and these attacks have consequences. And he goes like, Anna Nicole Smith died for Christ's sake. Uh, and the crowd laughs. And he, it's like, it's just like the greatest distillation of everything that he's talking about. That like just hearing the name Anna Nicole Smith made the audience laugh, even though he's reminding the audience that like, yeah, we terrorized her so much as a culture that she died. It's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. oh, wait, what, what is going on here? It's just like <laughs> a good sign of the Damn. frenzy of the media and all that. Anyways, um, classic segue, uh, Case Mulder writes in here and he says, talking about Bethesda games is a great time to talk about level scaling, everybody, where enemies are adapted to the player's level. Um, Morrowind did very little of it. Oblivion infamously did very strong level scaling and Skyrim tried to scale it back a little bit. The issue isn't fully, completely solved though. What are your favorite solutions to level scaling? I don't Don't like level scaling. Yeah. Let me like, I have earned this level of power. If it breaks the game, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I want to smash the guy that was giving me trouble in my first hour in one hit now. Yep. Let me do it. Yeah. Yeah. And conversely, I want to walk into that zone where everything's super overpowered and get my ass kicked and run away from them in my underwear and hide under a mushroom because <laughs> it's so overpowered compared to me. Yeah. And then you come back started? 40 hours yeah. later and just murder all of them. It's so yeah. satisfying. Yep. Yep. It's very much what's happening in Valheim at this point now where it's like, I'm not really scared of anything that's around my town. Whereas before I'd go into the dark forest and be like, Oh Jesus Christ. Never stop sprinting. I feel like the hardest thing I've come up against in Valheim is still building. Like trying to get <laughs> a building. I had to watch a 20 minute video on how to build a starter hut in that game before I finally got it. I'm not looking anything up. And so all of my buildings, like whenever I have to, seal off a workbench it's like i don't know man here's just infinite walls eventually hopefully the computer will read it as officially covered the, is yeah 
Yeah. Anyways, Chris H. writes in uh, and says, Hey, cohorts, it's time to play everybody's favorite game. That's right. We're playing Lord of the Rings chapter or in-universe Skyrim novel. The rules are simple. For each name, you simply must decide whether the title is of a chapter from Lord of the Rings or that of an in-game Skyrim book. Leo Vader. the chapters were titled. Apparently. apparently. All right, Leo, which one is this? A Conspiracy Unmasked. Skyrim. I'm sorry, that's Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring chapter. J.V. Gwaltney. Conspiracy, of course. Mm, um, was um, the ends were at it again. They were indeed. Mm-hmm. They said, what? It's the first book. Are they at it again? <laughs> Find out with our commentary tracks if we hit 2,500 patrons on Patreon. We're recording commentary tracks, everybody. Um, JV, a knife in the dark. Oh, Skyrim. You fool! It's Fellowship of the Ring. Really? Yeah. Okay. Jeffem, fire and darkness. That's Skyrim. That's a Skyrim. Leo. I read that one. <laughs> it's on the Couldn't shelf behind down. you. Uh, Leo, Flotsam and Jetsam. Skyrim. I'm sorry. That's Little Mermaid. Uh, no, that is Two Towers, everybody. Uh, JV. Per- characters were cut out from the movie. That's right. Yeah, they were hobbits. JV, Purloined Shadows. Skyrim. That's Skyrim, of course. You got it. Thanks so much, Chris H., for writing in. The Lusty Argonian Maid. <laughs> That's the one everyone knows. <laughs> it's the most, it's the number bestseller. one bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do y'all like for a question of the week? I actually really like that Skyrim one. I think that's super clever. I do like that one. I like the move into PR question. I like the title screen question. That's a very fun, specific thing. Yeah. Leo, what do you think? It was. Uh, the title screen one was good. Which one did we talk about Keanu about? Um, that was this talking about Speed 2 Cruise Control. I don't think... <laughs> But which guess, was within which question? I guess that's that kind was the of, tomatoes one. Yeah, the follow up to the Rotten Tomatoes one. Well, the Rotten Tomatoes one was fun too. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, on which way are you leaning? Yeah, I like the Keanu discussion. <laughs> so we're giving it to ourselves. <laughs> I mean, JV, you're a guest of honor. It's your final call, dude. Where are you going? I mean, everyone seems happy with the tomato one. That was good. Like that one looped back constantly. We had like three discussions about that. It made the show better. Like. There we go. Congratulations to Chris Logan. I'm 8-Bit. We'll ship out that wonderful prize of the Res uh, soundtrack and a bunch of other goodies. So thanks so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon and submits a question or comment each and every week. We appreciate the support and hopefully you can win in the future. Now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. Jeffum, hit us. Hey, uh, get a load of this. This one's a follow-up to my last get a load of this. <laughs> yeah. when we were talking about crypto art and, and you the said Christie's NFTs auction are so cool. for the first digital piece. Yeah. Uh, it was at the time when we recorded it, it was sitting at a hot $3.5 million. Uh, and I think it went up while we were talking about it, but it has since sold for $69 million. Jesus Christ. First Christie's auction. But it, it was actually, I, I went down a rabbit hole with the guy who made it. His name is Beeple. And it, it like, if if you're going to make art and you're going to sell it for $69 million, like, I'll sign off on this one because he's he's been doing a series of, 
it, the series is called Every Days, and he makes a new piece of art every day, and he's been doing it for over 12 and a half years, and he's made over 5,000 pieces of art, and they were all kind of encompassed in this one that he sold. And he said he, he, like, he makes every piece of art on the actual day in this program called Cinema 4D, which is kind of like 3D modeling because he's a 3D modeler. And he does like a bunch of post-processing stuff. But if you look at his art, like he has made, like a lot of it is really interesting abstract art that you would totally hang on your wall. Some of it's like really weird and stupid. Yeah. But that goes with the territory of making 5,000 pieces of art over 12 and a half years. That's crazy. Every day of your life. So kudos to him. And I don't know. And hopefully that's the end of it. Yep. <laughs> well done. You made it like a bandit. Uh, Leo, you going? Get a load of this. Uh, it can be done. Is the name of a full album made in Harmonix's Fuser. Really? Yeah. It's a. It's on YouTube. It's thirty minutes long. It's a lot of really good tracks. Really good use of Fuser technology and really well planned mixes like putting tracks down with the effect already set so they come in with a specific effect like really deliberate pitch shifting that sounds awesome uh i was i really liked it i genuinely will be listening to it again oh that's awesome cool it there's can a be done. link in the description below uh mine hey everybody get a little of this um there's a new youtube series which does not have much traffic but it seems very cool and unique this is a uh, harada who's been the lead on Tekken, you know, since the start of Tekken over at Bandai Namco. But separately than that, he just started a new independent YouTube channel called Harada's Bar, where it's just him at a bar, and he's going to have a guest on every episode. And on the first episode, he has Ken Kuturagi, you know, the father of the PlayStation, who hasn't done that many interviews, especially recently. And it's just them drinking at this bar uh, and Kuturagi talking about how he's really into robotics now and like pushing the boundaries of AI, but it's just like a nice casual discussion amongst two game developers that you don't really get to see that often. Um, and so I look forward to seeing where this bizarre YouTube series goes in the future, but it's called Harada's bar. And a lot of it is just uh, Harada talking about how nervous he was to interview Ken Kudaragi, but it's a, it's a good time. Also the first beer he pours at this bar. Cause he's like behind the counter. It's just a disaster. It's just like 80% <laughs> foam and Ken Kudaragi's like, cool. Thanks. Here we go. Uh, so you can check it out in the link below. Uh, JV, did you get one? Yeah. Get a load of this. It sounds like the King of the Hill creators are in negotiation to bring back the series to revive the series really like all the kid all the characters aged 15 years oh my god i don't know how i feel about that uh i think i'd watch it right like yeah yeah, i'd I'd watch it it seems like it could be a disaster or be great but i love being the hill so that's my get a load of this yeah what does bobby look like yeah they either go he's either heavier or he's now like super buff and fit yeah right? he's like a jock right like a jock in touch with his feelings <laughs> right he has a family now though right yeah i think he would yeah i guess yeah. so i'd be interested bobby's children yeah maybe he has a I, don't, I don't know what boonhauer would be like <laughs> he's just eloquent now he, what if yeah. he's yeah learned english but that's got to be so bizarre because mike judge he's also bringing back beavis and butthead right Yep. So the idea that now it's going to be a universe. 
Oh my God. And and Extract is coming back as well. Everyone's talking about it and begging <laughs> for Extract too. That's oh boy. Uh, Jeff, do you have a community to get a load of this? Yeah, get a load of this. This one was reposted by Shazira and it's a Twitter account called Off Model Mario Madness. And it's he's basically, it's a, like an elimination bracket of off model Mario's, like real world depictions of Mario that are just hideous abominations and none of them should exist but you can apparently vote to eliminate some of them now but it's just a list of funny ridiculous looking marios perfect you'll get a kick out of great thanks so much everybody um let's see plug stuff going on here uh jv you have something you want to plug uh yeah we post horn pr which is the pro bono a PR firm that me and some friends run to help out small indie developers just helped release a trailer for a game called A Shiba Story, which stars you as a dog sitter in a San Francisco-like city taking care of a Shiba called Sunday. Uh, It's coming out in summer. There's a trailer that's live now that you can watch. It's very cute and animated. It looks to be great. It seems Uh, So, yeah, check it out. It's called A Shiba Story. I mean, and you have two Shibas, right? Yeah, I have two Shibas. Hold on, hold on. I'll uh, I'll show you. Please, perfect. Like the interest. Yeah, this <laughs> thing. Uh, it the trailer does look. I'm very bringing cute. the blue Yeti huh? or the Yeti. Huh? Okay, let's see. Bandit, oh. bandit, you get over here, you bad mutt. Hey. <laughs> Do you have a comment, sir? Um, let's see. For audio listeners, the dog <laughs> is saying, "I need my lawyer present." He held up a sign. <laughs> very interesting. Very cute. Uh, what's the name of the game again, Jv? A Sheba story. A Sheba story. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's see other, right. other MinMax stuff. Um, we have MinMax Council, our Patreon exclusive podcast. Uh, this week, Leo joined me to talk some Harry Potter. He gave his official ranking of the Harry Potter films, which was controversial to say the least. I cannot possibly imagine. Um, I haven't been able to escape. <laughs> the discourse around that that's right um then uh crossfade our music podcast hosted by matt helgeson um on the latest episode chris remo who composed uh gone home firewatch now he's at valve um also of idle thumbs fame uh he was on to talk about paul simon and so it's a very fun episode and he also talks about the future of idle thumbs in that episode so if you're a big idle thumbs fan like me check that out you probably won't like what you hear but it's a great episode of the podcast so check out crossfade and your favorite podcast app uh and as always any help spreading the word about minmax telling a friend tweeting about it posting it on a forum all that fun stuff we appreciate it. i think we've had a pretty good week here and we're all gonna keep it rolling with even more stuff continuing on uh, JV, thanks for being in here, dude. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Always fun. Absolutely appreciate it. And thank you so much to Patreon. I'm sorry, to the $50 supporters on Patreon. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Will Cornelius, I am 8-Bit, Mercurico Torreno, Moonface Nick, Zachary Pluggy, Beaten Down Brian, Rated G for Gamers, Gamers, that's a podcast, Mark Seliga, Andrew Urquitz, Jawar Hello, Brian with a Y, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Valla, Ludwig Roge, Super Serious Sam, Yarrow, Spiraling Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Clayton Myers, Pritham Yarlagata, Spider Dan, Starkiller, Steve Bamdad, Jesse Vitelli, Slick Nick, your name here if you want to support us in the future, and Alex Payne! Thanks so much, everybody! Be good, have fun, let's go!